0: Yeah? Recording?
1: Yes, I am recording. Uh,
2: recording. Good. So, shall I start?
1: Shall I, Timothee Chalamet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, saw, I saw a girl saying that, like, Timothee Chalamet that always does the same character. And, um, like, I just saw an interview of this. Somebody was interviewing, was like, Timothee Chalamet is he overrated or underrated. And she was saying how, like, he always does the same. He just seems to do always play the same characters. Like, I don't think she's watched any of his films.
2: Mm. He's so
1: versatile.
2: Yeah, I think I've seen a lot of versatility from him.
1: Well, I, absolutely. You know, he was in Little Women as Rory. He was in amazing. Yeah. He was in June. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Yeah, and then in "Call Me by Your Name," bloody hell! Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And he's got yeah. he's got this new cannibal one coming out. Have you seen about that?
1: Oh no!
2: It's called. Yeah,
1: but, oh, it's going to be a cannibal. Yeah, like Hammy uh, Hammy Ham 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 Ham. Yeah,
2: and it's from the director of "Call Me by Your Name," so they've teamed up to oh. make a movie about a cannibal, <laughs> <laughs> but they've not invited the actual. Uh, cannibal allegedly cannibal. Um.
1: Yeah. But, uh, so I thought it was
2: weird yeah 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 but apparently it's amazing it's called Bones and All and it got uh, like an eight minute standing ovation at some film festivals wow yeah, yeah, yeah so you know amazing it must be good anything that gets a big standing ovation at film festival must be good right
1: Uh, yeah definitely
2: yeah. Uh, should we go yeah okay
1: two friends just made a podcast two good friends just made a podcast Two friends
0: just made a podcast, it's called Culture Bucket. Two friends just made a podcast, two friends just made a podcast. Two friends just made a podcast, Culture
2: Bucket, Georgia and Alex. Hello and welcome back to uh, the greatest podcast in the universe, uh, Culture Bucket. This is your 83rd episode, um, and the second in our soon-to-be trilogy of Breaking Bad uh, adjacent episodes. We are doing our review of the sixth and final season of Better Call Saul. After last week, we did our recap and general uh, overview of uh, the earlier seasons, which is amazing. Can't wait to do that. Love it. Um. I uh, can't do it on my own, though, uh, being your host, George. You need to be joined by another voice uh, as to avoid um, dull dullness setting in. Uh, and that other voice belongs to Alex.
1: Hi, George. Hi, Alex. Hi, everyone. Hi. I don't think it would be dull yeah. if you just chatted in. for hours by yourself no, and I listened. It
2: would be boring.
1: How you
2: doing today, George? Good, good, good. Excited yeah. to do today's episode. Love talking about Better Call Saul.
1: I've yeah. been
2: re-watching Breaking Bad. Um,
1: Have you? Yeah, oh. just,
2: just, just because of the sheer empty vacuum that appears <laughs> once one one Better Call Saul has ended. Yeah. Uh, I've gone back and I've rewatched the first one and a half ish one and three quarters of uh seasons of breaking bad okay so i'm really excited to talk about better call Saul because i also got as far as the better call Saul episode of breaking bad where it introduces oh. our favorite uh, shady lawyer who looks so much younger in breaking bad even though <laughs> yeah. he's,
0: uh, yeah,
2: he does. he's got a lot of baby fat as well in breaking bad he's not you know later seasons of Better Call Saul, he was in training for Nobody and stuff, so he's very, like, uh, svelte mm, uh, and well-built, well, mm. well built, whereas um, he's a bit doughier in Breaking Bad, which is fine, <laughs> and it probably fits for the, the journey that character's about to go on once uh, the prequel timeline of Better Call Saul ends, that he would uh, maybe, mm. you know, soften soften up a bit. But... um. <laughs> It's odd seeing him walk into that room with Badger in that episode of Breaking Bad and now knowing all of the baggage that's led up to that moment is, yeah. is cool. It's so good. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to talk about that. And we've there are three new movies that we've both seen, so it's going to be a great yeah. culture catch-up today where we can actually back and forth a bit about some stuff, which is great. Some good stuff, some not-so-good stuff. We'll see how it all goes. Um, <laughs> how... How are you'm
1: I'm, uh, uh, I'm okay. Uh, today is Sunday 25th of September and general elections in Italy.
2: Oh what today? Uh, yeah
1: today okay. uh, I voted uh, and uh, the prospects look pretty bleak, mm. so that's exciting. Uh, we might have a far right government oh, uh mm, tomorrow well which you know i guess if that's the trend now uh, yeah you can I'm come just,
2: and join us in the uk
1: yeah if, i i think i think we're fair, i think when when italy's far right is further right than england <laughs> i think we go like really far <laughs> i think our
2: far right just hides their far right rhetoric better
1: maybe yeah yeah. We'll, so we'll so yeah. It's a really bleak, uh, rainy day and I voted and I'm like I've and I realized I've been voting for nearly twenty years and whatever I voted has never really come into power. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Neither in in Italy or in England. So it's been like kinda of crazy. The only time I, I the only times. time in
2: my life I've voted in a general election for a party that then won, it turned out to be an enormous mistake. So
1: Oh Thanks. was that when um, Thanks when Nick Nick the Yeah, when Nick Clegg went with uh the Tories. Yeah. Well Yeah. Let's not
2: talk too much about decade old no, politics.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it's just uh, interesting how how we're we're trending and maybe some of the films that today might be like part of that far right movement that is uh, clogging our our poor brains. Maybe but if
2: they are it's probably only in a very cursory way that doesn't really matter. Um <laughs> um uh yes. yeah, no. No, it's good to hear some news. From Italy because it's been such a slow news time in the UK here. It's good to know that things are still happening. Ah, yeah. We've not really yeah, nothing happened I... in the UK recently.
1: No, no. So I, uh, I went to England after three years, not uh, going. And the day I landed, uh, the Queen died.
2: What did she?
1: <laughs> How did I miss? You you sent me a text saying, "What did you do?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Well done. That was. Yeah, so the 10 days I was in England was 10 days of mourning.
2: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Let's not talk for too long about that.
1: No. She did. Crazy She times. lived
2: a very long time. Well done on that count.
1: Yeah, well done, Queen. Good work. Uh, And that's it, really. Uh, Yeah.
2: Good. Got to see you, so I'm quite happy. Yeah, very exciting. And... Went to a wedding together, yeah. didn't we?
1: Yeah, we went to a wedding Fun together. Sometimes
2: times. Uh, yeah. lots of blood orange flavored cider, and it was yeah. very good.
1: Lots of gin and tonics. Sure. And then somebody recognized you, one of our listeners, Stacy. Yes,
2: thank you, Stacy. <laughs> Said, honest, "Are sorry. you
1: George from the podcast?"
2: Yep. Yeah. Very you are. surreal, weird moment, but weird <laughs> in a good way. Thank you for doing that, Stacy. If you're still listening.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: It's weird. Speaking of people listening, please rate and review us. Please yeah. go to Apple Podcasts and write a five star review of how good our podcast is. Thank you. Do you remember like the other week I was talking about how sometimes uh, maybe when I look at the podcast reviews on Apple Podcast page, I only see the ones from people in the UK. And I was like, maybe there's yeah. maybe there's podcasts, maybe there's reviews all over the world that we don't know about. Um mm. I worked out a way to check <laughs> Uh, other yeah. countries' pod Apple podcast page to see if we have yeah. any reviews, and I was right. Oh, two more reviews.
1: <laughs> well, better than like is two more than you thought. No, yeah.
2: So that's doubled our reviews. <laughs> 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 to from two to four. Uh, so thank you very much to the two American people that have uh, reviewed us. Maybe I can actually maybe I can read out those reviews. Give me a moment. Give me a gosh darned second here. Uh, Yes. Okay, folks. We have a five-star global average rating, which is the highest possible rating. Uh, Good. We've had 11 11 ratings in total across across the entire globe. 11. That's pretty good. Uh, With four written reviews. And let's read those four reviews right now uh chris crabb from the united kingdom thank you hello chris crabb um
1: hi chris
2: you have written five stars and you've written lockdown saviors culture bucket came at the perfect time during lockdown you couldn't pop down to local pub and chat away to your friends but you could listen to george and alex you won't always agree with what they're saying and neither the day but you will come away with lots of recommendations (laughs) for all types of cultures consume at your leisure what a lovely thank you chris that was great to, to read very nice yes. thank you very much uh, we've got one from Forever Retro hello uh, from the the UK five stars funny and insightful getting better every week uh, this is a great find the format of the show means that each episode covers a variety of genres over a variety of different media formats so there's something for everyone I have taken something away from every episode so far, I think. The dynamic between the hosts and their differing opinions of things makes every episode <laughs> interesting and different from the last, and they mm-hmm. are both so funny. Highly recommended. Can't wait to hear more. Amazing. Thank you so much. Ah, um,
1: oh, there's a pattern of us not getting along.
2: Yes. And <laughs> that is an accurate pattern. <laughs> then we've got uh, from someone that calls themselves John and Anana from, Amer- <laughs> from America.
1: Oh, Jonah.
2: Yes, that's who that is. Thank you. Uh, five stars, lots of fun, learn about new artists and films and long-distance friendship. Short but sweet. Oh, Thank you. I love it. And then we've got our, our final one. Five stars, again, from Gabe. No, hang on, it's not from Gabe. Okay, the, the username, I'm going to read it out because I can't pronounce it. You can tell me how to pronounce this, okay? I'll just spell it out. H F H F J F N R B F J And they've the title of the review is the word mm. Gabe for some reason.
1: Gabe. Okay. Yeah. and then
2: the 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 review the written review itself simply states good good good
1: <laughs> thank you five
2: stars good, good. good. thank you good uh, so really lovely words there from some listeners. We'd love to have thank you. more words such as these to read in the future. So it would be nice to have some. Thank you, please. Some more reviews. Culture Catch-Up Time.
0: This is Culture Catch-Up Time. This is
1: where we talk about what we've watched, what we've read, what we've listened to, and probably some other stuff. Culture
2: Catch-Up Time. Alex, you. what have you been doing?
1: I start. What have I been doing? So, I have felt the ending of Better Call Saul, so I watched two series back to back because they were so good. Nice. Uh season 6 of Working Moms is out on Netflix. Yes. I've been talking about Working Moms for since the beginning of this uh, podcast yep. and I will carry on talking about it because it's such a good series. Mm-hmm. And um it was created by uh Catherine Reitman. Yep. Who is uh basically <sighs> comedy. Well, how do you say with somebody in, uh, in, in 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 a in a in a setting like they come from comedy? Like they come from
2: comedy royalty?
1: Comedy royalty, because you know, uh, she's got a very famous father. What his name is.
2: Ivan Reitman. Ivan. Sadly Reitman. passed away quite recently. Yes. Um, yes. Much sympathies there. He was a, like you say, a titan of comedy.
1: Yes. And uh season six, I feel like probably it had uh some COVID after effects. Yeah. So it's not the best season but it introduces new characters um so uh we lost one of the characters unfortunately uh due to i don't know what uh frankie played by juno rinaldi she is not in the series anymore but uh the amazing thing is uh, i only realized that she wasn't in it uh six episodes in
2: (laughs) where's frankie you suddenly thought
1: yeah where's frankie and i think i think that's actually a really good thing about the show because it's so kind of well made and you're invested in the characters and in the character in the particular episode that i feel that it doesn't really matter who's there who's not there like for example uh the jenny uh the the really evil uh mum that has an affair with uh, one of uh, her boss do you remember yes yeah, like in one of the seasons, she wasn't really there. Yeah. So I think it's kind of like more follows, uh, Kate Foster and uh, and Anne quite a lot, and then the others kind of like. Yeah, yeah, uh, you join. need
2: you like it wouldn't be working moms without those two at the way, at least.
1: Yeah, exactly, and it's it's really I really really enjoyed this season. It's not the best, but it's the one that kind of got, gets you in the fields feels quite a lot Mm. um Kate and Anne have a bit of a struggle being friends they kind of realize they're kind of maybe toxic to each other and so for a little bit of the season you don't really see them together very much well the last Um,
2: season that I remember watching doesn't Anne mm. move quite far away
1: yeah so but she comes back
2: all right okay fair enough
1: yeah she comes back and she realizes that maybe she has some anger management management issues (laughs) (laughs) Um, that seems accurate and yeah uh, yeah definitely and then um and then uh nathan uh kate's husband has had a son when he was younger and so he's part of the team now um and so that uh kind of remodels their family and kind of uh, well creates a different storyline which is interesting Mm -hmm. uh valerie is quite present do you remember valerie the the one the 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 insane um woman with the two kids um yes she's uh the mummy mummy child kind of person in the nursery yes yes and uh there's some really fun moments with her and her two stupid kids (laughs) so it's it's uh it's it kind of probably suffered a little bit from covid but um, I still really enjoyed it and watched it all without stopping. So it's a really good season. And next season, season seven is going to be the last one. So it's a bit uh, sad that we have to say goodbye to these characters. But we have one more season. So if you haven't watched Working Mums, start watching it because I think it's great. And then I watched another uh, series called um, Love Life. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is uh, it came out a couple of years ago. Uh, twenty twenty, and I watched it because it stars Anna Kendrick.
2: Ah uh, yes, I've not seen this, but I know it.
1: Ah, oh, of it. So it stars Anna Kendrick, as uh, she uh, she plays uh, Darby, and is basically uh, her path, her love life to then find, the one or the person hmm. that she will spend the rest of her life with or whatever yeah and um uh with her there is like um her friend uh Sarah uh she lives with Sarah and Mallory uh, played by Zoe Chow and Sasha Compare and also with uh, uh Sarah's boyfriend Jim played by Peter Vack and uh it's just her living in New York and growing up and going through loves and uh different relationships. And every episode is a different relationship that she has. Yes. So the the first episode is called Ogi Jong. So that's an episode about him. Yeah. And then the next episode is about, you know, Danny two phones. And so, so I quite like that conciseness, concise, conciseness, concise,
2: conciseness. I can go with that.
1: Yeah, conciseness. Yeah, conciseness of the he- episodes, and I don't know. I actually felt really, uh, invested in uh, uh Darby's love life, <laughs> just because she she is like in good relationships, in bad relationships. Uh, this shows how the relationship is really nice at the beginning because of all the kind of like maybe the sexual chemistry that you, some you might have with someone, and then at the end is really like. Sour, yeah, and it's quite nice to kind of see the development in one episode without dragging it on for like too many episodes. Mm. So, I quite like that. And I love Anna Kendrick, and I think she's brilliant in it. And, um, I think it's a good series. And now there's going to be, and now there's also Love Life 2, which is another, um, is about another person through their relationship, William Jackson Harper, film. right? Yes, from The, from from the, good, the good Place. place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's Love Life, and to link it to one of the films that we watched. Oh yeah, one of the episodes in Love Life is written by, uh, Jennifer Caitlin
2: Robinson. Oh, who directed Do Revenge?
1: Who directed and written? I think yeah. Uh, who directed and wrote? Yeah. Wrote and produced "Do Revenge," yes, a film that we both both have seen is a twenty twenty two Netflix film.
2: Absolutely. Um.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh. Starring, of course, the lovely Maya Hawk. Yes. And uh, as Eleanor and Camilla Mendes as Drea. Hmm. And is is about <laughs> these uh two girls that uh meet uh randomly and they both had had their some wrongs done to them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Drea has experienced some uh, revenge porn done on her. If it's, it wasn't really revenge but some like some videos leaked. Yeah. And um and uh, her friend Eleanor has been uh outed by a nasty person and they meet and they find solace in their uh, misfortunes and they decide to do revenge on the people that um, treat them badly or did something wrong to them. Mm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. In, in,
1: <laughs> I, I, mm?
2: Inspired loosely by the Alfred Hitchcock movie Strangers on the Train. Yes. Where the idea being two strangers take on each other's problems because they can uh, deal with them in a less conspicuous way.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I really, I really liked uh Camila Mendes and Maya Hawke's relationship. I think it really worked together. Mm-hmm. They're such different people and different characters. I thought they really worked together. I it's it's so over the top that I quite like that because you could even like think there's kind of like a like a, a comic like a like a comic.
2: Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, well, because it's kind of in that like in that um lineage of teen dark teen comedies like Heathers and Cool Intentions and stuff where it yeah. all happens in a very heightened world. Yeah. Speaking of Cool Intentions, Sarah Michelle Geller appears here as the headmaster. Sarah master. Michelle
1: Geller is in it? Yep. I was like, what? I re- she hasn't changed. Like, she's pretty... Well, I don't know what she's done, but she looks pretty similar to Ever. She's looking good. She looks. She's looking amazing. The costumes are so over the top. Like, they, they're in a private school and their costumes are like these, like... Pastels, lilac, and pinks, and is all lovely. And everybody's got like too much money, and uh, they're, uh they all come from very important families. And um, but apart from uh, Drea, who has her mother is just a nurse, but she seems to have a, a lot of clothes, so like she seems to not have problem with money in that sense.
2: Oh, what Camilla Mendes, yeah, yeah, she's like. She's poor, she's American movies, poor, not actual, yeah, real life yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, because you know she's every time she's got a different um costume on
2: but when and she's but I... when it, but when it's the summertime, instead of relaxing, she has to work at a high class tennis club, yeah, so she, you know she's struggling
1: yes, um, where she meets uh well where she meets a crazy Sophie Turner.
2: Yeah, I didn't know it was Sophie Turner for ages. I was like, is that Karen Gillan? Like I knew I I knew I knew who it was, but I couldn't place her. She's very she's yeah. very she leaves a big impact in the handful of scenes she's in, in this movie, Sophie Turner.
1: Yeah, yeah, because she's super like loud and crazy. Yeah. Um as as a as a teen heightened kind of film, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was it was it was entertaining and funny and silly enough to be good it's not something that you have to believe it's not something that you go like oh yeah it's just you know it's just a fun teen comedy about revenge
2: yeah 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 yeah
1: yeah where everybody's like 26 26 year old plays 18 year olds and it's okay
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> what did you think of it uh
2: yeah i also really enjoyed it i liked how like you said it's takes like, so place in this heightened world um you know, like a Mean Girls type film as well. Yeah. But it's very, like, hard R-rated as well. Like, everyone's just casually doing drugs in this movie all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everyone is swearing. They make a, a meal out of using the C word, like, quite, yeah, know. quite a few occasions. Like, which, wow. like, in the UK, you can't even watch children's television without hearing that word. But in America, it's... <laughs> <laughs> pretty unusual for people to yeah. just be like shouting that word at each other but it happens in this film at, on at least two or three occasions yeah um absolutely I th-
1: one of them is said by sophie turner who is brit so, that is true you know. and yeah she, yeah
2: she her screaming in this movie where she's yelling about how she doesn't even know what cocaine looks like is very funny <laughs> um yeah. uh and um uh yeah i i wanted to watch it for two reasons because one because uh i'd heard the show michelle Gellar was in it uh and she is mm. not a lot but she you know it's always fun to see it she doesn't do a lot nowadays so it's good to see her and because yeah. my hawk's in it who i you know we both really appreciate her from her mm. role in stranger things and you've watched her in um that movie what's it called Oh. Andrew Garfield, I can't remember the name of it. Main, yeah. Mainstream or something, is it called?
1: Mainstream, which um, yeah. well, she's good in that as well.
2: Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to watch it for those reasons. But the, the, the star is Camilla Mendes, who I've never seen in anything before, mm. I don't think. She is brilliant in it. Like, she's yeah. very, very funny. She's very, very... um like She does the emotional scenes well. But no, like most, mostly she's just very funny. Like, she's, she's hilarious yeah. in this film. As is Maya Hawke, but I feel like Maya Hawke's performance is a bit more... I think because the character she's playing, she's a bit more reserved throughout. Whereas like mm, Camilla yeah. Mendes has to constantly be quite big, heart on sleeve emotion yeah. sort of character. And she yeah, she does a really good job. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. I hate it when people bring this up as like the only criticism they have of the movies if it makes it a bad movie, but it is way too long. Do you think? Yeah, it's like an hour it's like close to two hours long, and it's the kind of breezy comedy that should be only pushing over 100 minutes with credits like
1: oh i don't know and it, I, I i quite it, it yeah. does
2: take because if you watch the trailer for this movie you know that it's two girls they're wronged, they decide to deal with each other's problems mm. 25 minutes of the movie before we get to that inciting moment of the film like it shouldn't take 25 minutes to get to the point that the trailer sells you as being the story of the film it's too well, long at the start well,
1: I don't think it's too long.
2: It is definitely too long in my, in my view. Like,
1: I, I quite like the, the, the setup of how, how, how crazy rich these people are and how yeah. I quite like you, that setup. You can do
2: that more econ- economically, though. Mm. Like, I hate this trend of comedies. Like, The King of Staten Island, you were telling me isn't, isn't that long the other week. I checked. It's 2 hours and 17 minutes long. Oh, is yes. It? Oh, yeah. I'm never watching it. And this film is great. I did oh, really like come it. On. But an hour and like 50-something minutes. It's it's almost two hours long. Comedies shouldn't be that long.
1: I guess so. I don't know. But you're never going to watch the, key. the King of Staten Island, like, changes quite a bit. There's, like, different settings. Oh, so sure it doesn't it does. feel that long. Well, two
2: hours and 20 minutes is too long for, like, most films.
1: We haven't watched it, so you don't know. Yeah. Most films. Come on. We watched films that were three hours long.
2: Yeah, occasionally they could just and- their length, but not not a comedy about uh, some guy who's dealing with being a, a a tattoo artist or whatever that film's about.
1: No, it's not that. I'm not watch
2: it. Anyway, do revenge is uh, good. It, it, don't worry about it yeah. being long. It is worth your time.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and it's on Netflix, so everybody's got Netflix. So yeah, it's. Good. I had a
2: lot of fun with it.
1: Yeah, and the next film that we both watched uh at the cinema because I took the um I took advantage of being in England to watch a an, uh, movie mm-hmm. and is the twenty twenty two film see how they run.
2: Mm-hmm. What did you think of this class
1: classic Who Done It? Uh, it's got an incredible cast of people that I can't pronounce their
2: names. Well, we can go through. Do you want me to go through some of them quickly?
1: Yeah, go we for We've got Sam
2: it. Rockwell as Inspector Stoppard, Saoirse yeah. Ronan as Constable Stalker, uh, yeah. Adrian Brody as Leo K- Koppenick, uh, Ruth Wilson, the great Ruth Wilson, as Petrula Spencer, Rhys Shearsmith, mm-hmm. one of my favourite people in the entire world, as John Wolfe, uh, Harris yeah. Dickinson plays Richard Attenborough, which is amazing mm-hmm. and does a great job, David David Oyelowo as Mervyn Cockenorris, <laughs> Uh Charlie Cooper, Dennis the Usher, um, and then there's a few other people that turn up throughout it, but th- those are your main big roles. Oh, and mm. Tim Key plays the police commissioner in a in a, in a yeah. small but, but pivotal role. Yeah.
1: Mm. Uh yeah, and so it's uh it's it uh, set in the nineteen fifties and uh it's uh there's uh the, is it called the, is it a mousetrap? Uh is a stage production. The Christie's of the, mousetrap. the mousetrap, yeah. And, uh, and so they're trying to make a movie version of this uh, play and that is a bit controversial because it might put some people off. So there is a murder of the director played by Adrian Brody. Yeah.
2: And um, We've talked in the past about how he's only ever really good in Wes Anderson movies. Um, yeah. I thought he was pretty good in this. He's doing a good, like, horrible man. He plays a good, awful yeah. guy.
1: Yeah, but it was very... And, like, his performance was very much yeah. something that I've seen before. It's exactly him, so. it's exactly
2: his character from uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, pretty much.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I was a bit, like, mm, a bit... But it was fine. You know, I like Adrian Brody, and I like seeing him, so it was okay. But it wasn't... Like, I wish it could give us a little bit more, but it's fine. Um yeah. And so, and so he gets killed and basically the film, we have to find out who has done it. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was okay. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't as, I was more excited by the trailer than the actual, uh, when I was watching the film, mm. uh, there was too much, uh, repetition of like, um, it was funny that, you know, every time that there was like a subset, a subs- suspect, uh, Sercha's Ronan's character was like, oh, he must be it. It's like, oh yeah, that's funny, um, but it was a bit, I don't know, a bit repetitive in that sense. And I didn't, by the end, of the, I didn't really care who killed who, uh, and it was just like, oh, it was that guy. It's like, oh, okay, who cares, um, because so I didn't, I didn't. It was, it was entertaining enough. I did fall asleep at one point as well because I was a bit bored. Okay. <laughs> um but uh but only for like two minutes it was like I just closed my eyes because I was just like oh uh but it, it it was okay it wasn't I I liked the trailer more than I liked the actual film uh performances great uh didn't really understand some Rockwell's what where he was from and he wasn't really eliciting his words very clearly so I didn't really um I don't know if he was trying to do an English accent, he was trying to do an American accent, he was trying to do like a London accent uh I think it was meant to just like,
2: be a british policeman
1: yeah yeah, it just i I didn't really get that, and I just didn't uh I, by the end, I didn't really care about their stories and i felt I felt really disappointed in a way. it was okay, but not not a great whodunit done I didn't care who did it. <laughs> Uh, which is a shame because it's like it's a great cast and everybody's, uh, really, really good in it. But it wasn't as exciting as I wanted it to be. Mm. For example, like in Knives Out, it was like I know it's like it's still a do who done it, and you shouldn't compare them. But I felt like more compelled with the characters and who actually did it. What did you think? Of uh, it?
2: I really liked it. I thought it was mm. um brilliant. I love. Who done it? And I also love the Mousetrap, which I saw live uh, in theatre a few years ago, and um, I think that it's quite clever. If you've seen the Mousetrap, it it cleverly references and builds on stuff from that play to mm. create its own story. Which I which uh, I mm. thought was good. I think if you've seen the Mousetrap, it definitely kind of adds more to the film yeah. because there's stuff about who. The who the killer ends up being in the mousetrap, they kind of use that to throw in red headed herrings for the film itself, which mm. is interesting. Um I really like the cast uh in it, uh especially, you know, all of the people playing various suspects or victims, like Reese Shearsmith and Ruth Wilson are all sort of generally mm. pretty reliable actors. And um I just thought it was like not as a compelling a story as say, like you say, Knives Out mm. where you really care about who who did it by the end but I just thought it was really funny I thought it was a really really mm. good comedy um, there's one mm. bit early on where she's leading um, Saoirse Ronan is leading Sam Rockwell for the crime scene and explaining what happened and she picks up a pair of skis and she says he got the, the killer hit him with a pet with these skis and then it was all downhill from there and there was a mm. beat and then all of the audience I was in started laughing and I was like this is going to be fine I'm in safe hands and for the rest of the film I, I was laughing at every joke and had A really good time mm. with it, so as a comedy, I think it's great, I think it works really well. It's directed by uh Tom George, who directed All of This Country and features a couple of mm. uh alums from uh This Country, which is a, one of the probably the best British comedy of the past decade, I reckon. And mm. uh, yeah, it was interesting to see. It definitely feels like a movie directed by a TV, a primarily TV director, like it doesn't feel mm. like a big cinematic theatrical production, like I was encouraging my brother to watch it, but I was like, you can really just wait for it to come out and streaming. It doesn't need to be seen in the in the cinema. It doesn't.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's not yeah. feel like a
2: big cinema film, but mm. I still, re- yeah, I had a really good time with it, and I really enjoyed like the guy that plays Richard Attenborough does a really good Richard Attenborough. Mm. Um, so yeah, no, I I yeah. thought it was I I one of my favorite films I've seen this year for me.
1: Oh, okay. Don't you think it's a bit like maybe a failure of the 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 people making it that if you haven't seen the Mousetrap and you don't know anything about it, that maybe you don't catch so should should you not catch the like sh- so you've seen it, so you kind of like were going a different direction. But I haven't seen it and so I wasn't going in any direction and by the end I didn't I didn't care who it was. Don't you think that's a bit of a failure of the filmmakers or no the writers to just kind of like Assume that people know what The Mousetrap is or watched The Mousetrap or read The Mousetrap.
2: Um, I don't think so. A, you can't have read The Mousetrap because it it's only exists as a play. Um,
1: of course you can. You can read a play. I, I did theatre at, at university. I read No, of what
2: I mean is you can't... It's, it, it was written... Agatha Christie wrote the play The Mousetrap and she wrote a story, she wrote a short novel called The Mousetrap as well, and she dictated that the mm. novel wasn't allowed to be published in the UK until the play had ended its theatrical run in the West mm. End. Um okay. but famously it's the longest running play of all time. It's never ended its theatrical run. Oh it's yeah. Okay. So it can't it has never been published in the UK is what I meant by that. Um, which okay. which again they turn into a plot point in the movie to just when it, it becomes about when the um, cinematic adaptation can be released has a similar rule about it mm. um i don't know if it's a failure of the producers because i don't think it i don't think you need to have seen the mousetrap to understand the movie i think it just adds another layer if you have done and like i said it's the yeah. longest running play of all time so it has been mm. seen by a lot of people mm. not everyone obviously but like it's been it's it's one of the most watched plays in history, pretty much.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I guess it assumes that you would have watched it and then
2: you watched it. No, this I don't and... think it assumes you would have watched it. It doesn't rely on mm. you to have seen it. I think it explains enough that you need to know it just, if you have seen it, it adds yeah. another layer to the film.
1: Yeah, maybe that layer is necessary to enjoy the film. I
2: disagree. Mm. I've definitely heard read reviews from people that haven't seen The Mousetrap and still enjoyed the film.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I, w- I wish I'd liked it more cuz that's why I went to see it cuz I was really excited about it and I didn't I wasn't I didn't yeah. I didn't care for it by the end but um you know it's always nice to see Sasha Ronan on, in action she's always Yeah. Awesome, so yeah,
2: good. she's good in this she's very funny.
1: Yes. And the last film Shrouded in Controversy. Shrouded in everything. Yeah, cuz one of I the stars wasn't. spat
2: on one of the other stars in, at the premiere so loads of controversy.
1: Yeah, uh, well, he didn't. He did, and uh, oh, if you carry on with like <laughs> this, I'm going to stop this call. Uh, shrouded in controversy. And I feel like if people would have gone to see the film without all the crap that was behind, maybe people would have had a different um perception of the film. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, there's a newest uh, 2022 film uh, directed by Olivia Wilde. Don't worry, Dalek. Mm-hmm. Great cast. Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, Chris Pine, Olivia Wilde, uh, Gemma Chan, Nick Kroll and other people. And it's basically uh, set in the 1950s and uh, is this uh, seems to be like an experiment, utopian experiment where couples live and live the best life in this 1950s serene, place where the men go to work and the women stay home, clean and cook. When the men come back, they pleasure them. Uh, <laughs> and But then things start becoming a little bit weird for the main character uh, played by Florence Pugh and her name is uh, Alice. Uh, Alice. And uh, maybe things are not as perfect as they seem. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't know I I I think I'm going to be in the minority saying that I, I actually didn't mind this film. I thought it was I thought it was really entertaining. Uh I was really entertained for 2 hours mm. and a little bit on the edge. Um it's not perfect. There are certain things that are a bit like meh. But I don't think anything can be perfect, but I never I I haven't had a film where I was like totally invested for 2 hours. And kind of like going up and downs and like different emotions that you could possibly have. I definitely had so much um, pre, pre things before the film that I was trying my best not to think about those whilst I was watching the film. Yeah. And I think and um, and it's, it, it was strange because I don't understand why this particular film was so targeted by... Everything. What and
2: well, um, I mean. I think. I think I know but, why.
1: Well. Okay, but let's talk about other things first. So acting. Let's talk about the actors. Uh, Florence Pugh, incredible mm-hmm. in yep. it. Uh, Chris Pine as well. So we were expecting that. Uh, Florence Pugh just you know, brings the house down every time.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Harry Styles. I thought he was okay. Uh, he's supposed to play this dweeb. Uh, and he does perfectly well. Uh, he's got his English, so that accent has been, you know, accent gate has been.
2: <laughs> well,
1: has been solved
2: irritatingly. Without being able to spoil, we don't. I don't want to spoil it because it's only just come out. But like, the plot of the the some of the reveals and twists in the plot of the movie actually it makes sense that he has like a weird bad accent in the film. Yeah. Um. So yeah. it's Sort of fine
1: and. If you had to think about Harry Styles and Shia LaBeouf, I think Harry Styles is much better casted than Shia LaBeouf. I don't think Shia LaBeouf could have done. Well, I think this it
2: wouldn't have character. been the same character if it had been Shia LaBeouf. No. I think they probably, when Harry yeah. Styles came on board, they made a couple of pretty key changes to it.
1: Yeah, but I think Florence Pugh and Harry Styles have a really good connection, and a really, I think Florence Pugh could get a good connection with a b- mm, water bottle. Yeah. But I mean, I think it worked. And I think it it I don't know I I I think it worked but I wasn't yeah
2: I don't think um, any of the problems of the movie come from Harry Styles he looks a bit lost at times no. I think like he's not he's got he's he's been put in scenes with really talented really um, experienced actors and he doesn't have yeah. that experience but he does his he does what he's he he asked to well. do he does perfectly fine yeah I don't know if I'd say it as well but um, he does he does what he needs to do well
1: enough uh, I think yeah I think that I think he does I I, I I quite I think he carried himself okay in the film and I think he just did what he had to mm-hmm. do Um, Olivia Wilde I think she's great in it I think she's really good at portraying whatever she did and her character changes and then you figure out what she wants and I quite I quite liked her shift yeah, yeah. and I think she did it really well Uh, Gemma Chan is you know flawless always well she doesn't um,
2: do anything in the movie though really
1: Oh yeah, but she's flawless. She's just Emma Yeah, sure, she, but she's just she's just there she being Isn't her. really given
2: any yeah. She's a bit of a blank slate in the film, I thought.
1: Well, I think that's what she has to be though. Mm. Like I think is every everybody serves a purpose in that I feel sense. Like there's a mo- there's has- a moment at
2: the end of the movie that would make, would be more impactful if her character had any sort of story.
1: I guess so but every uh, everybody has got a different story in that place and I think that's what I enjoyed because at the end you kind of realise what, mm. you know, there might have been different kind of things and like you think that she's some way because of a dinner party scene which is incredible and then she kind of ends up being something like maybe m- maybe that was just to kind of save herself.
2: Yeah, yeah. That dinner party is the best scene in the film I think.
1: Uh, uh yeah, I don't know. I quite I quite like the the desert scene, one of the last desert scenes because I think cinematographic the, the cinematography is pretty I like the cinematography in the film. Mm, it's really good and, like at the, the production design like, when really they good. Yeah, the costume design is good and I think the scene in the desert where uh she drives off and it's just like it's just the car in this huge desert and there's this like really kind of cool sound it goes whoop woop I just really that kind of like make I don't know I found it really exciting I don't know it was really good, um yeah and yeah I don't I don't understand I th- I think I enjoyed it I thought yeah of course there were some problems a lot of films have problems is it a new concept no has there ever been a woman led concept of like uh utopian reality not really. So I feel like it's kind of different. Does it address the issues? Some issues, it does. And I have this thing that maybe if it had been directed by a man, it would have been different. There was so much... So much controversy before the film. And yeah, it's because Shia LaBeouf got got fired. And yeah, because Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde don't get along. But this is all stuff that came out. None of them said that it was how it was.
2: That's not true, though, I don't think. Olivia Wilde said that she fired Shia LaBeouf because Florence Pugh didn't... She could have just said, we went in a different direction. Like, she didn't need to throw him under the bus in that way. And I don't like Shia LaBeouf, but she didn't need to do that. Yeah, but
1: do we all say things straight away because maybe she fired him after maybe something else happened there's so much stuff that we don't know and that was just exactly you You can't know the
2: full story so why even put any of it out there
1: because maybe sometimes you just want to save yourself and you say the wrong thing a lot of people say the wrong thing but whatever olivia wilde would have said would have been wrong i've watched this this really good um interview with colbert and he said you know there's so many people that so many male directors that have had done much worse than Olivia Wilde, and they haven't been crucified. And Olivia Wilde, anything she could have said, it would have been bad. You know, you have you have like people like Alfred Hitchcock. You know, he you know he never been crucified. Stanley Kubrick, other act, other directors that do things to their actors, that
2: yeah, but I mean, if they were running around doing that today, I don't think they'd be given the sort of pass that they were given in the seventies or sixties.
1: Yeah. But you, you could have like, you could have either direct, I'm just talking about two of the most famous ones, but I think if you go and search for other directors that maybe changed cast or did this, uh, uh, said something that maybe wasn't true. Like I feel like she had a worse time because she was a woman director and because of what this film is about, because this film is about, can, if you look at it, you know, socially, there's a lot of like, before I said we're going to the far right. And, you know, just in Hungary, the, the prime minister is saying that women belong in the kitchen. Uh, there's the alt-right movement that want women to become subservient to their partners and be back to the old times. I feel it's not perfectly showing these things, but it, it is portraying things that are current now and current against women. Because we keep losing our rights, or the right of abortion, the right of like being paid the same amount of money. it keep, It's happening. And I feel like this film was shrouded with so much controversy that we didn't look exactly what it was trying to say. It's not saying the thing perfectly by any means. Is it perfectly directed? Maybe not. Is it... Um, is it perfect? It does perfectly say this thing about uh, women. uh, Well, this is, this is thing about the trad wife, the new thing about the trad wife. Uh, These are women that want to be traditional housewives. And they think that that's the, the, uh, the best form of feminism. I decide I want to be at home. Yeah. You can decide, but not everybody wants, not everybody in there wants to do that. And some men force these some women to do that. So it kind of, portray something that is important to see but bef- because of all the crap that was behind it I think maybe it it just got sidetracked and I feel a bit upset about it because I also was like oh accent oh Florence Pugh and uh, Olivia Wilde oh and then I was like no don't think about that think about like what it is about and it is about somebody that is trapped that doesn't want to be trapped in this kind of life, yeah, because of her partner, yeah, which is mainstream now. It's something that society does now. What did you think about the movie?
2: <laughs> um. Well, like, like first of all, I've spent the last year before the controversy erupted being really excited to see this movie because, as as we've yeah. discussed before, I thought her Olivia Wilde's first film is a masterpiece, like one of the best teen high school comedies I've ever seen. Um,
0: yeah.
2: You know, as we were talking about Do Revenge earlier. That film's good, mm. but it's not perfect. I think Smart is, like, pretty close to perfect. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, and I love Florence Pugh, as we've discussed. And I even thought Harry Styles, he doesn't do much in it, but when he was in Dunkirk a few years ago, I thought he was perfectly good in it. So I was like, I'm interested to see what this is. Mm. Obviously, all the controversy came out. I really do feel like... Every time I saw Olivia Wilde doing interviews, she seemed to just be doing more and more stuff that made the movie, added controversy to the movie unnecessarily. It, that's, that's how I feel about what I've seen of the promotional cycle. It's just kind of bonkers to do or to, 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 to promote a movie in the way that it's ended up being promoted, which is a pity. Uh, the movie itself, I really enjoyed the start of it. I think the. Like we said, the cast is really good. Um, even people with smaller roles like Kate Bellant and Nick Kroll and stuff, do, you know, do a really good job in it. Um, like it's very funny when you see only the men interacting; they just seem like they have absolutely nothing to say to each other. Uh which yeah. is you know all kind of makes sense as you go through the film. Um, the production design is flawless. The cinematography is brilliant. Uh, the first twenty minutes or so are are fantastic. Florence Pugh is mm. really good, and you know you, the relationship between her and Alice and Jack is is really well sort of introduced, and it's fun to kind of get to know this world. But then, it, for me, it, the it sort of it so it introduces all of these characters. It introduces Chris Pine's character and Gemma Chan playing his wife, and you you meet Florence Pugh obviously and Harry Styles, and you meet uh, Olivia Wilde and her husband played by Nick Kroll. And then their friends, played by, like, Kate Belant and other people. And then there's, like, what feels like an hour, the middle hour of the movie. Kind of all those characters disappear pretty much. And it's just Florence Pugh, which is great. Florence Pugh is fine. But it's kind of scene after scene after scene of Florence Pugh seeing something odd or something weird happening or having a vision and being like, this isn't quite mm. right. And... It, 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 I, I was bored in the middle of the movie. And then when it comes back and it's sort of, there's a point where it goes, right, everyone's back and Chris Pine turns up again and Je- uh, Olivia Wilde's there again, Gemma Chan's there again, where it kind of picks up again, it starts being interesting. And then when the final reveal happens, it is a bit of a, ah, okay, so it's, this is what it is kind of thing. Like I listened to Mark Commode's review of it yesterday and he was talking about how you quite quickly realise what's probably going on and you're like, well, there's five different ways that this could be. And then when the reveal happens, you're like, ah, oh, they picked that's they picked that one out of the sort of, it, it's not an original idea necessarily, but it, you don't need original ideas for movies to be, it's about how well you do mm. them. And I feel like this movie could be an hour shorter, be an episode of in a season of Black Mirror with the exact same story and would be like, you'd finish the season of Black Mirror and you'd be like that was an all right episode. That was, that was about, Mm. that was a sort of an average, that was a fine episode. But Mm -hmm. as a two hour film where it sort of just pushes the same point for quite a lot of it, when it finally makes reveals and like they talked a lot about before it came out about how Chris Pine's character was, was inspired by Jordan Peterson. Again, a thing that I think she shouldn't have said, that shouldn't have been in the promotional stuff no. for the movie. Cause it, it, I was watching the film being like, I don't get what that is. And then eventually near the end of the movie, there's a point where you're like, all right, I get exactly what she means, but like, I, I wish I hadn't known that going in when all that reveal mm-hmm. happens. There's not enough time left in the movie to really interrogate what it means. And like you said, I think it's making a really interesting point. The story is not original, but the context in which it's placed within our current world is, is important. And, should yeah. be looked at and discussed, and the movie fails to do that. I think and ends up being an okay film, and I enjoyed it in the cinema, mm-hmm. but I don't feel the need to watch it again. And I wish that it had been better. And Florence Pugh is the the greatest living act, human yeah, being working definitely. in the film industry. I I just I think she oh. is phenomenal. Yeah. And there's a seat. There's a there's a dinner party scene where she confronts Chris Pine, and it's mm absolutely amazing her body language her line delivery everything she's doing in that scene mm. she's ruling and controlling the room and it's great mm. but um i ended up being like, it's weird yeah. cuz i
1: cuz i can't wait to watch it again like i really want to see it again to kind of like pay more attention to other things mm. just because i feel like i was highly i didn't i when it finished like i can't believe this has been 2 hours wow yeah cuz when she was by herself i think that's really poignant because she is by herself. Nobody, nobody believes her. Her husband says she's crazy. Uh, she can't, and and when when you know you know she's having like some issues, and when you can't talk to your partner about it, you are alone. And I think that's really yeah.
2: But that could be like twenty interesting... minutes rather than forty minutes.
1: But I, I don't, I don't, th- I don't think time is is a question. I think I think it's how you perceive that. No, and I know, I, but I don't I feel know. Like I was fairly. They left
2: it too late to do the reveal stuff like they there was so much once it started revealing itself there was so much more i wanted to know and it didn't
1: i guess it didn't
2: tell me anything
1: it's really weird because i started and i didn't enjoy it because i was like why is it going so quickly and then by the end i was like oh whatever happened at the beginning made sense Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it kind of for me it was more like that so i'm not sure it's it's I wish it hadn't been shrouded with so much crap because I wish people would have gone in just to watch the film. Like, you know, um, see how they run. I just went and I, you know, I saw the film. It was okay. Yeah. And I didn't have any preconcept feelings about it. But with this one, I already had some pre-existing feelings about mm-hmm. it. And, and I I felt like it could have, people would have liked it more if th- stupid things hadn't been said Or things haven't been assumed. You know, people are like, oh, Florence Pugh is doing no press. It's like, yeah, she's filming Dune. (laughs) You know, uh, that's why. Mm -hmm. She's doing another film. Not everybody can do press all the time, can they? And uh, I feel like if people just... I'm not sure if it's because Olivia Wilde says things that shouldn't be said. But it all started also when Olivia Wilde got served papers. You know, it's been one thing after another. She got saved papers, like, when a few months ago, and then this all this controversy came. Like, I feel that like it was just meant to be picked on. And I, I'm upset. I'm not happy about that. Yeah.
2: But I don't think that it totally absolves the creators of the movie of responsibility, some responsibility in, oh, in creating that part yeah. in a, a little bit. But then, you know, like you yeah. say, it, I'm, I'm, I I can completely see the argument that the fact it was a female creator and a woman director and writer and stuff increased the pile on. But I think that the, yeah. there's there's things that were done and said during the promotional tour that just could have been not done or not said. And it would have been, you know, and and it's a it's a it's a perfectly like the, the, the thing is loads of reviews have come out for it now and, and, and are absolutely slating it and it's it's just a it's just a very average film in my opinion it's not Mm. terrible like the people that are saying it's terrible i just don't think it is it's it's well shot and well made and it tells its story well enough i think i think it it sags in the middle a lot but other than that it's Mm. perfectly entertaining i think that they had an opportunity to really look at and examine something that that just really gets rushed through right at the end of the film. And that's, a, a, for me, that makes me a bit let down by it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I guess we can't spoil it too much, but I think it was maybe is to give more space for the character of Florence mm. to to be strong and to escape the situation rather than give time to to the person that put her in that situation.
2: Yeah, definitely, but I would like to have seen her really you know confront why the person that put her there in a in a more in a in a, in a in a in a less physical way and in more in in I'd have liked to have had more of a discussion. where she could really have, I don't know. I
1: don't know. I I I I, I yeah. Well I think we can disagree on this film because I think those those three things that they say to each other are so poignant that I think that's all that needed to be said.
2: Yeah, I, I did enjoy it. I had a good like I gave it three stars and letterboxed which means that overall mm. I liked it but I did I did think that it was a little yeah. mixed. Whereas I was hoping it was going to mm. be like a masterpiece. Okay, so that's um
1: that's my culture catch up for the week. Mm. Yes, you? well, I'll
2: go a bit, I'll go G-Kun. quickly through some stuff, but there's some good stuff to talk about and recommend. I I finally got. I went to see the movie. Uh, bodies, bodies, bodies. Ah
1: yeah. Uh, With your favorite Pete Davidson. Yeah,
2: um, so a dark comedy slasher movie. <laughs> you could describe it as like this generation's scream in a way,
1: because oh. it's a bit of a satire.
2: It's a bit of a, a bit of a commentary on. uh what, what are they now? Not even millennials anymore. Gen Z gen z gen x <laughs> not gen x gen Zers. i think um basically yeah. there's a there's a hurricane coming a bunch of rich young people decide to hole up in their friend's house for the during the hurricane and have a hurricane party uh, a debauched wild oh. time um they play this game bodies 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 which in the uk we know as murder in the dark where you turn off all the lights somebody randomly has been selected to be the murderer and they have to tap somebody and that person's then dead and then the lights go back on and you discuss who you think the killer is and you kill people ah. off one by one until you found the murderer. They play this game. Oh,
1: I couldn't play that game. Have you ever played that
2: game? I've, I, well, it's really weird because this movie presents it as like a fun drinking game. In the UK, Murder in the Dark is like a children's party, like a, like a primary school sort of children's party game, if you see what mm. I mean. Like jelly and ice cream time kind of Vibes.
1: Yeah.
2: Um it's fine. It's, it's I could,
1: in the dark though. Like I'd be terrified. Yeah, but you make gift. sure,
2: you know, the parents make sure that all the furniture is <laughs> pushed aside. Like it, it feels like a chill, okay. children's game. Um but maybe in America there's a different mm. cultural like vibe to it, but whatever. They play the game, it results in a big argument because the, and this is the this is really the thesis of the movie is all of these people are awful. Like Awful people. Like, you watch the trailer for the movie, and I know lots of people that have watched the trailer and been like, I don't want to watch that. I couldn't bear to spend an hour and a half in the company of them. But that's the point <laughs> of the film. So, it stars mm-hmm. like um, Amanda Stenberg plays Sophie, who's the lead character who's gone to this party sort of unannounced uh, due to reasons that, uh, revealed over the course of the movie. No one really wants her to be there, but she's turned up. Uh, Maria Bakalova plays her new uh, girlfriend, B. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's very good in it. And she's not even though it's a funny movie, a comedy, she's not really funny in it. But but not she doesn't she's not meant to be. Like she's 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 we're seeing a different side of Maria Bacalova in this movie, and she does a really, really good job at it. Um and obviously she's then sort of the outsider because she's not Mm -hmm. really known by the other people in the group. Uh Maha Mahayla Herold plays Jordan. Um who I don't think I've really seen her in anything else, but she's pretty good in it. Um, Chase Suey Wonders plays Emma, who's, again, I've not really seen her in anything else, but she's very good in this, as like a, a wannabe actress. Uh, Rachel Sennett plays Alice, uh, who you will know for the being the star of Shiva Baby. Um, yeah, okay. She's very good in this film. Amazing. Lee Pace, oh, the yeah. very tall Lee Pace, who people might know from the Hobbit movies and the Guardians of the Galaxy movies uh plays an older boyfriend of one of the uh one of the younger people who uh does a very good job at be at being that like you know when you when you were younger you'd be at a party and there'd be someone there who was clearly too old to be there and it'd be like why are they he's <laughs> yeah. very he's like very good in that role. And of course Pete Davidson is David.
1: Your favourite
2: yes. the rich uh trust fund boy who owns the mansion that they're all or whose parents own the mansion that they all hold up in. Um and yeah so they play bodies 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 they get into this big argument and all of a sudden a bo- an actual dead body is discovered and mm. then they have then of course the survivors just try to find out what's happened but the issue being they are all awful and they are just then spend okay. the rest of the movie being awful to each other and more bodies begin to pile up and the mystery of how it's all happening uh, deepens um, it's very funny, it's really well observed, the actors in it are all incredible and they have to be in order for the film to work because, you know, if this was done badly, it would be one of the most insufferable films ever made. <laughs> Even like, Pete Davidson, yeah. I'm not a big fan of Pete Davidson, great in this film, does a very, very okay. good job at playing this sort of sulky brat who's really jealous <laughs> of the fact that this older guy's here, who's really buff, and taller than him and he's <laughs> and he's really like pettily upset about it and that ends up being quite an, mm. uh, quite a key plot point and yeah beat everton's good in the film i'm happy to say that he's good in the film amandla Stenberg yeah. who um starred in the hate you gave a couple of years ago and has been a couple of things absolutely mm. amazing in this film uh, along with me Ria and yeah i loved it i had a really really good time with it so um if you've watched it and you've seen the trailer and you think that looks absolutely unbearable, give it a go. Try it out. Mm. Also, you know it's ninety four minutes long, so it's a good.
1: <gasps> you and your minutes. It... Oh my goodness gracious. Films me. can be.
2: Films can be three hours long, but if they don't need to be, they shouldn't be. And this movie doesn't need to be longer than than it is, and it is the perfect length. It's good. Mm. Um. So yeah. Big fan of it. Also, it had features a cast member from I Think You Should Leave in a very small role, uh, which was fun to see. Um, next, uh, I also saw the film that we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast uh, due to showing you the trailer and you being made sick by the trailer. Crimes of the Future. Oh. Yeah. Uh, the new David Cronenberg movie, his first movie in like a decade or so, his first body horror mm. movie in about 20 years uh set in some kind of a near future uh stars Vigo Mortensen, Leah sadu Kristen Stewart. Uh Vigo Mortensen and Leah sadu are a performance artist uh troop couple who whose art involves the fact that uh due to a weird new step in human evolution, Virgo Mortensen's body is constantly producing new organs and Oh! yeah <laughs> it is gross and uh they turn leah sadu's surgical removal of these organs is turned into a like performance art piece um what? yeah in the way that like surgical <laughs> surgical theatres are called theatres and they have theatres in them like in the victorian era or, you know a long time ago surgery was okay. watched by people it was kind of theatre and it's sort of a, i guess mm. bringing that idea back um for this new version of of surgery and he's like a little, everyone who meets Viggo Mortensen is amazed and talks about how incredible he is. All he's really doing is how his body's growing organs. But they talk about him as if he's like a Picasso. Uh, it's really mm. a weird tone to it. Um, Kristen Stewart, in a very breathy, strange performance that I enjoyed, but I've heard some people say they didn't enjoy, plays a, a, a government worker who works at a newly opened wing of the government whose responsibility is the IDing and tagging of all new organs. So if somebody grows a new organ in their body, it has to be tattooed and, <laughs> and registered to the organ registration office that, that Kristen Stewart works in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it
2: weird. is weird. Um, Silly. Um, and uh, she's very like, she she like, there's, a, there's a bit in the movie where she goes up to Viggo Mortensen and goes, can I ask you a question? surgery is sex isn't it and he just looks at and she goes surgery is the new sex when I saw her cutting into you I wanted it to be you cutting into me and it's very like it's (laughs) very like it's 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 a lot um if you're like a huge Cronenberg fan you'll get a lot out of the movie it kind of references a lot well actually you might not get a lot it's hard to say it 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 references a lot of Cronenberg's other films in various ways, his other mm. body horror movies, and it feels like a bit of a greatest hits run. And I think the issue a lot of people have with the film is that when he was making these movies in like the seventies and eighties, they were transgressive, they were controversial, mm. they were offensive, uh, people got upset about them, but they were masterpieces as well. Crimes of the Future mm. has come out into a world where it can be shown in a multiplex. I went to see it in the Cinema World and it doesn't feel okay. as... Like, it's gross and, and weird and gooey, but it doesn't feel... <laughs> gooey. It doesn't feel as sort of dangerous as his earlier movies did. I just mm. enjoyed seeing a David Cronenberg body horror film in the cinema. I enjoyed the having the opportunity to do that, and it's a well-made film. Viggo Mortensen's great in it, Lisa Dues great in it, Christian Stewart's great in it. There's a few other actors that really do a good job. Um... Uh, There's a guy called, I think it's Don, no, who am I thinking of? Anyway, there's there's another actor in it who's very good, but I can't work out who it is. Anyway, point being, it's not a revolution, but it's a good time if you want to see a weird David Cronenberg Mm. horror film. Um, Like Mm. the opening scene shows a young boy eating a plastic bin. (laughs) Uh, and that ends up being a pretty important. Like, there's a whole thing about like humans have to evolve to uh, consume their own industrial waste, which is an interesting idea. It, or it like it could actually be, if it if it made more comments about our current environmental situation, it might be mm. a more interesting film. But it doesn't really attempt to do that. Uh, it just does mm. it in a cursory way, similar to some of my feelings about Don't Worry, Darling, I guess. But I enjoyed it. It's good. You you I don't think you'd mm. like it, but I, I it was good. Nope. Um, Okay, next up, I went to see on the IMAX uh, the new Brett Morgan documentary, although documentary is not really the right word for it, Moon Age Daydream.
0: Mm, Yes, yes. which
2: is the David Bowie movie. Um, It's been – so it's about two hours long, and it's been constructed entirely from archival footage from Bowie's personal archives. Some of it unreleased, some of it released – so there's plenty wow. of stuff you'll have seen before if you're a big David Barry fan. It has no mm. talking heads or interviews or anything like that. All of the narration and, and, and dialogue in the movie is provided through this archival footage, 99% of it being Barry's own words. So it's almost David Barry narrating from beyond the grave, as it is, Aww. his own journey through life. Mm. It mixes concert footage with other footage uh, to create this. It less It's less of a documentary and more of a of a of a collage of moments of his life, Aww. and if you're a big Barry fan as I am, the movie just washes over you for two hours, and just you you don't learn anything new from it, but it fills you mm. up with the unique energy that only Barry had, and I and mm. seeing it on the IMAX, I yeah, I had the opportunity to see it on the IMAX. It's now gone to more general release on smaller screens, but like seeing it on the IMAX, having it fill your vision, having the sound. Uh, sh- shake the chairs at times, um, was a pretty incredible experience. Uh, if you are a David Bowie fan, you I really would recommend seeing it. Not because you'll learn anything new, but because it's, it's the kind of experience that only he was able to provide, and it's it's come along, you know, several years after he passed away, and it's a beautiful mm. thing really to be able to have it. It's a very heartfelt movie. You can tell that Brett Morgan loves Bowie and his work and has produced. A, you know, an ode to, to the man. And, um yeah, it was good. It was really... Do you really think
1: good. a non Bowie fan might enjoy it? I could it?
2: see it, like, I could see it converting people because it, it okay. doesn't try to tell you his life story. It's not a boring, like, he was born here and he was called David Jones and then... <laughs> it, it just, it's like, you know, he he... Hmm it's it's it it kind of shows you i think it could convert i think non-bi fans could enjoy it because it shows you what's so great about him um Mm. it shows you all the various sides of him at various points in time you know it really shows how obsessed people were in like the 70s with the idea of him being a bisexual like it's got lots of of footage of interviews of him having to put up with these like suited up Buttoned mm. up BBC interviewers oh, being like, yeah. "But you just bisexual. These shoes you're wearing are they are they gay <laughs> shoes? Are they women's shoes? Are they bisexual shoes?" And Barry's just like, "Well, they're just their shoes. I like them. I like they're the shoes. shoes. I'm wearing the clothes because I like the clothes." Like, it sort of shows. You know, he really was. You know, nowadays, anyone can dress the way he wants, and I'm not going to say he. He did it so that everyone else could do it later. He didn't, like, fight for it on necessarily, but it is, it is amazing to be reminded of the fact that when he started dressing and, and presenting himself in the way that he chose to, it mm. really was not a common thing and it really did freak people out. Um, and it yeah. seems quite pedestrian Absolutely. now in comparison to what we have today, but it is, it is fascinating to see, uh, to be reminded of... Mm. Um, of, of, the, of the impact he had on people back then it's great there's a great there's a great little bit of footage of a girl sat behind a a concert venue in floods of tears because she'd waited for hours for him to come out of the concert and he didn't come out and the interview is like why did you and she just goes i just think he's smashing and it's, Aww, <laughs> <not really>. smashing. <laughs> yeah. it's a very good little <laughs> bit of footage so yeah no it's a, it was really a, a really big love letter mm. i loved it okay i'll go quite quickly now uh 2022 british crime thriller on netflix anyone can watch it if they want to stars george mckay uh miscast as a um bratty graffiti artist george mckay being the star of 1917 and like always playing quite well to do upper class people oh
1: yeah well he, he's got really old yeah, yeah, yeah. Face but in well. this he's like, like, looks like got old-
2: a hoodie on yeah. and he's like god mom i hate you uh interesting (laughs) um along with Hmm. Hugh Bonneville as a retired judge and uh, Kelly MacDonald as George McKay's mother uh this is written um co-produced and directed by British Iranian filmmaker Babak Anvari who I love his work he made a film a few years ago that's also on Netflix called Under the Shadow which is set Hmm. in um, Iran in the 80s and it's about a single mother trying to raise a daughter and it's all about the political reality of doing that in Iran during that period of time, but uses um, a, a, a djinn, the presence of a djinn, a genie, as a metaphor for the, the, the challenges she's facing. And it's a masterpiece. It's such a good mm. film. He followed up a couple of years later with a movie set in small town USA called Wounds, where Army Hammer, famed alleged cannibal, pre cannibal accusations, plays a uh, bartender who um ends up involved in this kind of Lovecraftian cosmic horror situation, uh, a movie that got quite a lot of bad reviews, but I really enjoyed. So this movie came along, I Came By, now he's made a film set in London, he's hopping all over the world with every movie. George McKay, graffiti artist, along with his partner, they break into the houses of rich people and they tag it up with this thing that says, I Came By, and it's meant to be a sort of like... um targeting of, of of it's about the haves and the have nots effect- effectively um they mm-hmm. i don't know if it's intentional what they seem like the worst people in the world because <laughs> like they're, they're picking yeah. the right targets but the things they're doing to them is very like childish um but anyway uh the he targets he ends up targeting this judge retired judge played by hugh monoville uh we learn that he is um a human rights um advocate. He gives free counsel to um asylum seekers and he's retired from the judge's board because he said they were too sort of stuck up and old white men kind of thing and he wanted to, you know, shake mm. things up from the outside. Uh George McKay breaks into his house when he's not there, goes into his basement and discovers something horrific down there. And we found out that maybe uh, the public face of this man doesn't match his true his true internal self and
0: um yeah. and uh,
2: then you know the the movies basically we learned quite early on that this guy played by Hugh Bonneville Hugh Bonneville from Downton Abbey and also plays Mr Brown in the Paddington movies so like famed nice friendly <laughs> British man Hugh Bonneville mm. plays this absolute monster um <laughs> And uh, the movie's basically, you know that scene in Breaking Bad where Jesse goes, he can't keep getting away with it. About what, mm. like, the movie is kind of, that's the that's the ethos of the movie is that, like, Hugh Bonneville just keeps on getting away with it and you kind of, like, keep seeing people attempting to, like... And it's it's really about the fact that, like, he plays squash with the police commissioner, the police chief. So if the, whenever, the, whenever somebody sends the police to his house because they've got wind that something's not right, he'll just be like oh, I'll just uh, let your boss know that you came by because I'm friends with him and then obviously it all gets... Oh, so it's a, real... a little
1: bit like uh, what um, uh, Jimmy Savile was doing. Yeah,
2: pretty much. It's very sort of, yeah, it's very, very
1: similar to Jimmy Savile. It, it
2: takes on a lot of that stuff. It's, it's about a lot of that stuff. Mm. It's not a masterpiece. It's not a perfect film, uh, but it's a nasty film and it's a, it's a oh. bleak film and it doesn't have much light in it once it all gets going, but it is very compelling. The performances are really good. Mm. Babak Anvari, who it's just been announced, he's making a new Cloverfield film. And like after the last Cloverfield film, I had no interest in seeing any Cloverfield movies, but I'll watch it if he's made it. He's, he's, a, he's a, somebody to watch for. It's on Netflix. If you're up for kind of like a quite a bleak time, go and check it out. It's probably it's similar to some of the criticisms I had of the film States. It's a touch too long. It could be 10 minutes shorter maybe, but it's, um, it's good.
1: I don't think um after after the the results of the elections tomorrow I probably I probably need the uh, fairies and the sunshine. Maybe not maybe films. that's fair. Uh
2: okay. I'm going to talk about two <laughs> video games now and they're both really good. So I want to so okay. So the first one I I played this game called Devotion. Okay? Mm. So the little bit of background of this game it was it came out in February of 2019 it's the second game from a developer called Red Candle Games who are based in Taiwan. Their first game Detention um is about is set in historical it's set amongst the history and culture of Taiwan and looks at the Chinese occupation of Taiwan and um i I've not played it yet but I'm definitely going to play it it's meant to be very good. This game is set in the 1980s in um again in Taiwan, and it's a walking simulator. Do you know what a walking simulator is? So a walking simulator no. is, it's normally, <laughs> it's almost always played from the first person perspective and you, your interaction, your ability as a, as a player to interact with the world you're in is zero or close to zero um, and yeah. it's mostly about walking through environments and allowing the story to happen to you as you go through. So there's a very, there's one of the first and most famous ones is called Dear Esther, where you're walking around this island. And as you walk around the island, you hear uh, these letters get read out that it, that sort of over the course of the game ex explain why you're on this island and what's going on, but like you can't really do anything on the island itself. You're just sort of experiencing the story. Uh there's another really famous one called Gone Home, where you are a girl who returns home from uni for the holidays and her house is empty, her family aren't there, and you're walking through her house and you can pick up and look at objects and you have to try and piece together why no one's there and what's happened. Um they can be quite boring affairs at times, but when they're done well, they are very good. Um this one, you play as the father in a family of three. Um, you are a screenwriter, a previously successful screenwriter. Your wife is a, a successful singer and movie star. And you have a young daughter. It's set in the 80s in the apartment you live in. And it's a psychological horror game. And you repeatedly move through this space. Like The apartment is quite small. It has a, it has a living room, a kitchen, the child's bedroom, a bathroom, which is always locked and the parents' bedroom. And you will move through the space, explore it, leave it, and then re-enter it, and it'll be in a different setting at a different time period, and everything will be slightly different. And you'll have to, over the course of the game, you piece together the story of this family and what has happened to them. And it pulls in um, sort of the fear of failure is in there. Like, it explores a lot of quite big themes that don't usually come into video games too much. Um, In particular, it looks at um, obsession and cults. And I didn't realize this, but apparently Taiwan is sometimes described as an island of cults. Um, There are these, a lot of sort of religious figures in Taiwan who inspire like absolute devotion, hence the name of the game, in their followers. And uh, this father Mm. over the course of the game sort of begins to get tangled up in one of these, um, one of these things and it causes uh, rifts in the family and effects in the family and um, the story is really good, but also it's absolutely terrifying. Um, to give you one small idea, there's, there's not really much animation in the game. There's one bit where you come into the apartment and the first thing you see when you enter the apartment is the TV room, the living room, and there are two mannequins watching the TV and they're just sat there they're, and they're sat in their position to watch the tv and they're dressed like husband and wife so you're like oh this is meant to represent me and my wife character uh you walk past them and past the living room is the kitchen you walk into the kitchen and the there is now a, there's a mannequin of the wife stood at the sink doing the washing up and then you look around the kitchen for a moment and then you walk back into the living room. And when you walk back into the living room, now the two mannequins that were watching the TV are stood up and are looking at the doorway to the kitchen that you've just walked out of as if they're staring at you. And you walk out for a moment and then I span around to look back into the kitchen. Ah. And now the now the ah. mannequin that was at the sink <laughs> is just stood in the doorway of the kitchen, blocking the blocking the kitchen. And as you move through the space, more mannequins appear and and, and it's terrifying. And that's just one example of like, quite early on of one of the more terrifying moments in the game but it kind of builds up like this the reason it's an interesting game a it's a really well-made game it's a really it's incredibly well made and well written and well produced Mm. and you know they're a small developer in out of taiwan and it's great to see something like this the reason i've just only played it now despite it coming out in 2019 is not long after it was released um there was some Chinese writing found on a wall in one of the levels in the game that says um that compares the president of China to Winnie the Pooh which is apparently a popular internet meme um yeah he dislikes this so much that he had Winnie the Pooh edited out of like one of the Kingdom Hearts video games or something so when this was discovered in the game it led to Chinese players of the game review bombing the game on Steam Mm. and um the, the developer ended up removing the game and were never really able to put it back on because the Steam by the way is like the, the online marketplace for buying PC games. And uh Valve who owns Steam I have been trying to get a version released in China because obviously the the internet is very sort of state controlled in China and so people think the reason this video game never reappeared on Steam was because of effectively censorship to please the Chinese government and, and, and allow Steam to be released in China um Hmm. and it's a real pity because it's it's just like the the developers insisted it was a placeholder bit of text that was accidentally left there and should have been removed and it's got no bearing on the game itself but it's led to the game being basically unplayable and removed from the internet for years and finally earlier this year red candle games put the game up for sale um on their own website you could just buy it from them directly and download it so now it's kind of Hmm. you're able to play it uh if you, if you want to go and kind of throw them twenty dollars or whatever it was and you should because mm. it's amazing and it's it's really a, it's a real pity that a game this good of this high quality has been sort of held away from the world in this way for so long so I'd really recommend people check out devotion it's it's brilliant absolutely fantastic game uh the last one i want to mention is just this this game immortality it's really interesting it's developed by this guy sam barlow who makes fmv games fmv games meaning full motion video uh meaning that you are watching recorded footage of actors as if you're watching a film but then you there's the player you're able to interact with them in some way so like for example his first game her story was this um collection of interview footage interviewing this woman who'd been involved in a crime and you had to search for all of the interview footage to piece together what had actually happened so you were just kind of searching through this database of video footage and watching these clips this movie immortality you are tasked with discovering why an actress um whose name is marissa marcel who starred in three movies all of them have been wiped from existence and you are tasked with finding out what happened to Marissa Marcel, why she vanished, mm. and what happened to her. You are given one clip from her. You're, you, you've you got a database of all of them, all the clips from all the films, but you can't just look through them freely. You have to... Um, you're given one clip, which is her on a talk show, and the the way you interact with the game is that you uh, pause a bit of footage, you hover over an element in the scene and click on it, and you will get match it will cut to a random other piece of footage that also features that thing. So if you click on her face, for example, you'll randomly get any other piece of footage that her face appears in. If you click on a a cup or mug, you'll get randomly linked to any other piece of footage that features any other mug. Or you can do it with actors or various other things. And by just clicking through and watching these clips, you slowly build up the stories and plots of these three other movies she starred in, but you don't just see the scenes from the films. You see like the little bit before they start filming it and then the clapperboard and then the scene happens. And then the bit where the, the director yells cut. And then you see like a few more seconds afterwards normally. And there's like, there's hundreds of clips in the game. It's a huge project. Uh, One of the get, one of the movies you're piecing together is like a medieval set, religious drama about uh, nuns and lust and stuff. Uh, the second one is like a almost like a jalo movie, like a detective thriller movie where they're trying to track down a killer. And the third one is like a nineties style, almost David Lynch-esque psychological thriller. And you sort of have to piece together you sort of go through all this footage and try and piece together what's happened. It's um unlike anything else I've ever played, I spent like a full day just playing through it. And doing nothing else and piecing together these movies and it's so well done the main actress uh, she's called manon gage who plays marissa marcel and is, is tasked with playing the actress and also the three characters she appears as in all three movies she does one of the best jobs i've ever seen like florence pew levels of perfection and it's mm. to, to just turn up in this video game and not really have done anything else is amazing she i hope she goes on to bigger stuff because she's so so good in this um you know, the film that was meant to be made in the 60s is presented in four by three aspect ratio and then the, the modern, like the aspect ratio changes, the, the quality of the film changes, like they've done everything that has been done perfectly to represent these three areas of film and it really feels like you're searching through genuine archival footage from some film that you've never seen before and you forget that it's a video game it's a masterpiece along with devotion it's an absolute masterpiece and it's on game pass so anyone who has game pass on xbox or pc can play it and i would recommend anyone who has the ability to to get to go and look at it and play it because i think it's absolutely one of the best things i've ever played is immortality yeah interesting Mm, thank you yeah so really really good stuff nice really good stuff very nice thank you you. Oh, very quick update by the way on the Rings of Power, which I gave a recommendation to a couple of episodes ago. Uh, it's been very dull and boring for the, for for most of the run since the first episode. So, <laughs> maybe maybe not something to run to. But House of the Dragon, the new Game oh. of Thrones show, is brilliant. So go and watch that instead. My trip,
0: my trip, my trip.
2: A YouTube link for a film that I think you'll be interested in watching. So, if you've already seen this trailer, let me know. But if you haven't, I think you'll enjoy it.
1: Okay. So, George has sent me a trailer of a film called Catherine called Birdie. Mm. I've no idea. I have Ah. have, no.
2: Okay, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by this. Let me know you know where to start.
1: Yes, I'm ready.
2: Okay, three, two, one, go.
1: Okay, so, oh, it's I him,
2: Andrew Scott.
1: Yes, I do be. love him, actually. Where oh, Lena Dunham. Lena coming. Dunham movie. So okay. And for me by
2: name. You
1: Exciting, Lady and it's oh. a period oh. movie, probably Some a period me. comedy. Yep. She Not period, period as a uh, woman period, but period way, as all time period. Uh, Russell Brand is in it?
2: But only briefly, supposedly.
1: Okay, I don't mind him, he's fine. Okay, I think he's a girl that's uh, quite, um, uh, I don't know, sure of herself. In a time when girls couldn't be sure of themselves. Is that Billy Piper? Little, it is. Oh my goodness! I a oh we <laughs> Pox? No, you
0: don't need to go. It's
1: only a small little pox. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Old world problems. Oh, that's uh, Taylor Swift's uh, boyfriend. Oh really? Yeah. Oh. I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. How does Billy Piper still look like that?
2: I don't know. Well done, her.
1: <laughs> yeah, amazing. You don't get to decide who we are, where we go, or how much we cost. Like, we're just
0: things. We're not things. We're people. Oh. We can think, and we can hear, and we can feel. Oh. We oh.
1: I wish I could help every guy in the world. Oh, it seems like a really sweet Story. film. Mm. So now about Catherine Code birdie about things issues that we had before and we still have in 2020 <laughs> absolutely we do
2: um, amazing yeah, I, yeah. I hadn't heard of this film at all but it's just sort of come out in America and I think it's out next week everywhere else mm. uh, the reviews for it have been huge like people okay. are loving this film and the star Bella Ramsey um mm was phenomenal in break, uh, not Breaking Bad. She was in Game of Thrones, the mm-hmm. late seasons of Game of Thrones. She had a very small role, but very memorable role, and mm. people loved her. And she's soon to be seen as Ellie in the Last of Us adaptation uh, that's coming out of HBO early next year. And um, she's, seems, she seems great, and she looks like she's great in this as well. So, uh, yeah, I thought you'd be interested to see yeah Lena, Lena Dunham film.
1: I do like her she has been uh you know chastised chastised is it the word from
2: yeah. yeah there's a recent thing what is it i can't remember what it is now there's a recent thing where there's somebody's talking about their career and they're being t- it's a woman and they're being told by their agent that nobody likes them and they're too headstrong and she's like she gets compared to lena dunham and the agent's like well you're not meant. You shouldn't be like Lena Dunham. I don't know. I can't remember what it is now. I'm trying to remember. Anyway, I don't care. I don't. I don't have any dislike of Lena Dunham.
1: It's crazy. Like she had a, a like one of the you, you know she's an incredible writer and Girls was a really good series. I mm. I would like to be like Lena Dunham actually.
2: Yeah, that's fair. We all yeah. would. Maybe <laughs> this film looks great. So well yeah. done. Her. Yeah. Uh I'm going to send you a link now for something that's maybe not as nailed on uh good but i think looks mad uh, and interesting
1: okay so the next trailer george has sent me is called knock at the cabin is it a horror film
2: um well <laughs> hmm.
1: knock at the cabin is it a cabin in the woods by any chance or a cabin it, it, by it, a lake
2: it's a cabin in the woods
1: <laughs> is there I a think, lake as well
2: i think you'll get the vibe of what it's going to be like when it reveals in the trailer who has written and directed this movie okay okay I am you ready. ready to start yeah right, three two one go
1: okay so there's a cabin in the woods mm-hmm. it's oh, got yeah. a pointy roof
2: but this is not the cabin in the woods we no it's, that's a different and the thing. music
1: is quite upbeat so
2: yeah
1: oh two dads and one daughter
2: yep i'm assuming they're two the dads they could be brothers i think they are i think they're okay. dads.
1: okay yeah there's a lake. I, I I was right with that.
2: Yeah, well done.
1: And the daughter is doing some. Oh, there's a man in the woods, and the Uh-oh. music has changed.
2: Who's that man?
1: Who's the man in the woods?
2: Who that man be?
1: Who that man be? He looks big from a distance, like mm. muscly. Is it Terry Crews? No. By any chance? Ah, from M Night, Shalamai Milan. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan. <laughs> oh, What's so nice it is a horror. What's nice to
2: yeah, but his horror movies aren't really horror movies, they're always something else.
1: Okay, so the big guy looks like Terry Crews but he's not doesn't, Terry Crews doesn't and look he's like got Terry tattoos. Cruise. Well from the distance. Like the Maybe from the distance. I haven't seen his face now.
2: You'll know who it is when you see his face.
1: Okay. What's broken? His heart. What does he have to do to the house? He has to burn the house. Uh, I, I don't think he has to saying- turn him the house. Oh. Oh no, the are they gonna torture them job to with a chain? In fact, oh no. It might be the most important job. What's the important job they have the to do? Why do they have to do this to them? So, stuff is happening. Important job, which means kill them in a Who really knows. horrible way. Don't know. Hmm? Don't know. Maybe and the couple Oh it's him uh but Dave Batista
2: and mm-hmm. the guy from Harry Potter. Go in. The four of us are here.
1: What did they have to do?
0: To prevent the apocalypse. Your family has been chosen to make a horrible decision. What so if you fail to choose the
1: world will end What's the interesting make the choice Mm. so maybe the kid is not who's supposed to be they have to choose
2: why do you think that
1: well because it's going to be the twist isn't it you're
2: just thinking of the most unpleasant thing that somebody could be made to do yeah Yeah, kill the kid
1: or not kill the kid
2: oh no don't kill the kid i reckon
1: no definitely but if the if 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 killing the kid stops the apocalypse, then mm. it's, a, it's a strong choice, isn't it?
2: Yeah, mm. that's true.
1: Interesting. Uh, you're going to watch it and tell me how it is.
2: Yeah, because as usual with M. Night Shyamalan, a, 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 an intriguing setup, you, you want to know what is going on.
1: Is that his actual name? I just realised it's like M. Night Shyamalan. 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 Is that That's not his actual name, M. Knight, is it? Uh,
2: I think the night part he might have added, but he is called it's Shyamalan. Like, yeah, but it's Indian... like
1: Midnight. Mm. That's quite intelligent way, isn't it? A
2: little yeah. bit,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> no?
0: It, sure.
1: <laughs> M. Knight Shyamalan. Great times. Mm. Well, it looks interesting, but I, I don't like kind of people torturing other people. It's not kind of my thing, so...
2: I don't think and it's they, anybody's thing.
1: But some people watch that stuff, and they yeah. enjoy watching that stuff. I don't particularly enjoy watching people in pain.
0: Mm.
1: Mm.
2: Good. But I don't know. I want to know what 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 why what, what choice they have to make. I want to know. I want to know what it is.
1: Was what was one uh uh M Night Sh- it, How do you pronounce his name?
2: M Night Shyamalan. 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 Shyamalan, mm, close.
1: <laughs> Shyamalan. Shyamalan. Shyamalan.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh what was the? He's um. <laughs> what was the last film he did? Old recently.
2: The beach that makes you old. Yep.
1: Yeah, was that good?
2: Mm, it was very fun. It was a very yeah. fun movie. Mm. It's pretty not. It's not a good movie. Okay. But it's a very fun movie. Okay. Uh, he's made good movies. The Sixth Sense is a good movie. Unbreakable is a good movie. I think Signs is a good movie. Um, The Visit is a good movie. What else has he done? I'm sure there's one other one recently. Between The Visit and Old, I'm sure he's done something between The Visit and Old. What was it? What was it? What did he do between The Visit and The Beach that makes you old? He did do. He did, he did do... Oh, Split. Split wasn't great. So, actually, no, Split was Split was pretty good. Glass was terrible. He, mm. he, he kind of veers between... He, he, he always makes really big swings, so his films veer between being really good and really bad. There's not much uh, in between. <laughs> but I appreciate that about him. I, I, I like it. I've got, I'll always watch a new M. Night Shyamalan movie, unless it's uh, Avatar. But never mind.
1: Was no. Avatar him?
2: Avatar the anime adaptation not ah. Avatar the the blue aliens yeah avatar okay. the last the last airbender ah, okay um so yeah right should we start doing our better call saul discussion
1: yeah the yeah. last season of better call saul
2: the final season as we discussed last time um as we begin season six, uh, Nacho is not in a good position. He's on the wrong side of the border. Lalo knows what he's done, and um, he's, 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 not, he's not in a good place, basically. Um, Kim and Jimmy are planning to uh, ruin or destroy um, Howard mm. Hamlin. And uh, Mike is firmly ensconced in his role as Gus's enforcer. That's where we start. Um, I thought we could briefly go through episode by episode. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yep. So episode one is called Wine and Roses. The first half of... Uh, this season which takes place in the prequel era um pre-Breaking Bad. Every episode is called Something and Something, which I hope yeah. is is a nice little touch. So Wine and Roses. The opening of this season uh shows us the police seizing personal property from Saul yeah. Goodman's mansion, we can assume Amazing. in the post Breaking Bad timeline. Yeah. Um uh, we see a lot of absolutely horrendous things being yeah. uh, loaded onto trucks. Uh I think the reason we see this scene is that we see the souvenir tequila bottle stopper fall from one of the uh, cupboards being loaded onto the FBI's mm. transport trucks, implying that even in the post-Breaking Bad world, Saul still held a candle for Kim. We don't at this point know what has ha- what happens to mean that Kim isn't in Breaking Bad, but we know that Saul has not left her behind entirely if he's hold- yeah. held to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's see, in this episode what happens, um, Gus arranges for Nacho to hide in a motel um, in a very cursory attempt to help him, but really I don't think Gus cares at all. I'd say that's probably a fair...
1: Yeah, you think that he cares and then you quickly realise that he doesn't care.
2: No, he doesn't care. And then Nacho
1: kind of realises pretty quickly (laughs) that he doesn't care.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the cartel places a bounty on that show. Uh, early doors. Um, I can't remember it. It. I don't think it's this episode. I think it's the next episode. But the sequence where he hides in that puddle of oil. <laughs> he anyway. That's not for a couple of episodes. In this one, he's hiding out. Da 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 da. Jimmy and Kim are beginning their plan. Uh to force a resolution to sandpiper case. That's that's what they tell themselves that they're yeah. doing all of this to Hamlin to <coughs> force him to finish the sandpiper case early so Jimmy can get his big payout. I think really, especially Kim, just wants to do it uh for because it's fun. Uh it's a fun challenge. Um
1: Yeah, in this episode you kind of I kind of feel like is more Kim pushing it than than Saul.
2: Absolutely. I think mm. Kim comes up with some of these ideas as well and they are really, really Vicious ideas. Yeah. In this first episode, we have the sequence where uh, Jimmy sneaks into the country club and plants a uh, little baggie resembling cocaine in Howard's locker, uh, ensuring that Cliff Main uh, sees it. Cliff Main played brilliantly by... um, What's the name of the actor? can't remember now, but Cliff Mane's very good in, uh, in, in in his scenes. He's kind of like the main witness that they keep arranging to see these things. They want Cliff Mane yeah. because he's also uh, a lawyer from another company that's on the Sandpiper case. Yeah. Um. Lalo uh, just starts doing horrible things, murders people, running around. <gasps> uh,
1: that scene where he just says to that guy to shave. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah, yeah. then
1: kills him. It's yeah. like, what? you just... Awful.
2: Yeah, he's. And horrific. in the
1: meantime, his wife is making him breakfast.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then Lalo. Why does Lalo? So Lalo is gonna sneak across the border back to America. Yeah. But then he realizes that, like it says, like I'm using, I'm using Wikipedia's plot synopses so everyone knows to uh to sort of go through these episodes. He realizes that the proof that Gus arranged the murder is not in. Or well, the, the proof that Gus is, is, is working against the cartel, basically, the proof that he's got this underground lab, et etc., et cetera, is not in America. Uh, it's elsewhere. And, uh, you know, as the season goes on, Lalo goes to Germany. Yeah. To sort of find out all of that stuff. What Do you know what leads him to... I don't remember what leads him to go to Germany in the first place. Oh, Lalo uh, learned Werner's name somehow in the previous season. I don't quite remember how it is. Sorry, everybody. Um, but Werner being the lead architect and his widow being the person that Lalo eventually goes to see. Um, okay, okay. I've got it. Okay. Okay. So, you know, there's that scene in season four of Better Call Saul where Lalo is going into the wire, wiring money Building whatever travel wire company, and he ends up Mm. killing that guy. From there, he that's where he finds that uh Gus and Werner were sending money to uh Werner's wife or widow, Mm. so he has her address, and also he knows that Gus's parent company that helps uh to that owns Los Polos amos and provides the funding for it is uh Madrigal Automatics, which is based in Germany as well. So Mm. he kind of follows that hunch and lead and goes to Germany there, okay, okay. Good. It all makes sense. Obviously it's, it's it's genius. Uh so yeah, that's episode one. Uh primarily with we're, we're you know, we're worried about Nacho. He's on the run, he's still stuck on the wrong side of the border. There's the very entertaining scene of um Jimmy and Kim uh planting the, the baggie of fake cocaine. It's amazing to think that that's what happens in episode one of this season and the the journey from that episode to the finale feels like more than a season's worth of story. This feels like almost an entire show in its own right. Like yeah. the way the pacing of this season is amazing. Um so yeah, second episode is called Carrot and Stick. Um uh, this episode opens with uh you got Mike paying off Nacho's girlfriends to leave um and uh, oh, wow. yeah, yeah and they yeah. take all of Nacho's money uh etc um Gus meets Hector Salamanca and promises to avenge Lalo's death and Hector continues to be uh, an angry old man in a wheelchair who is <laughs> does not believe uh, Gus for one second. Yeah. Um, and this is where Gus first gets his hunch and this is what drives Gus into his paranoia throughout the season that Lalo is still alive because Lalo yeah. has rung Hector and Hector's aware that um Lalo's alive. Um. Uh, so then, yeah... Juan and his men, who being the cartel, break into the fake safe that Mike has planted in Nacho's uh, house and uh, find uh, details of the motel that Nacho is currently staying in. Not Mm. great at all. No. So Gus and Mike are setting up Nacho in these early episodes. Kind of. They're working against him. I hate. I feel so sorry for Nacho.
1: Yeah, yeah. I really, he's, I really liked him. Yeah. I, yeah, I think he's a great character, and I think he he just got side. I don't know. I think the money just kind of got to his head, and the women and the money, and then he realised mm. that. Um, that it wasn't right. But then you can't really get out very easily from this situation, yeah. can you? God, and yeah. this
2: is showing really how much Mike has now become Gus's man because, like, Mike engineers helps engineer this betrayal of Nacho, which is... But he wasn't... You let me down, Mike.
1: Yeah, but he... Like, he wasn't really... He wasn't really in with the... At the beginning, he wasn't really in with the plan, Gus's plan, and then he kind of realises that that's Gus's plan. It wasn't always... In he, Mike didn't really know at the beginning that Nacho was gonna die. Mm. Like he kind of realizes in episode one he's like, oh, we're just gonna. Because I think Mike wants get to get Nacho out because yeah. he thinks that's the plan. But yeah, I think but then in Gus this episode he like,
2: plants this fake. He plants this document in the safe in Nacho's apartment that the cartel will then find to tell them where Nacho is. Mm-hmm. So Mike sort of directly, you know, on yeah. Gus's order leads to it happening.
1: Yeah, but also Gus is a very dangerous man.
2: Gus Extremely is a hard, dangerous, awful, awful man. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So Nacho realizes, you know, Nacho has more about him than people. Nacho is this series version of Jesse in a way. Like he, there's yeah. more to him than people always underestimate him. Yeah. Uh, and people never give him a chance. Uh, to, to show, you know, him his true self, and that's true of that's true of um. Jesse in Breaking Bad, and it's true mm. of Nacho in in Better Call Saul um So Nacho realizes he's being surveilled. He sneaks out of his, in a great scene, he sneaks out of his uh, motel room that he's hiding out in, gets around the back of this cabin that this uh, guy's in, and um, forces him to reveal that Gus is the person who's having him watched. So he realizes that Gus has betrayed him to the cartel. Uh, a cartel hit team arrives. It, it includes the wonderful cousins, who we all oh, love.
1: They're so <laughs> <I'm> scary.
2: Absolutely <laughs> terrified of. Um,. And eventually, uh, Nacho escapes in a stolen truck. Mike wants to go and track Nacho down, but Gus um, instead wants to hold uh, Nacho's dad hostage because Gus is just awful and make Nacho reveal himself. Um, And this is... Yeah, because Mike is still... I guess Mike still wants to... Because there's that scene where... Mike and, um, it says here, Tyrus, who is Gus's sort of other henchman, have a little standoff where Tyrus just really wants to just let Nacho die and Mike still wants mm-hmm. to see if there's a way to uh, to rescue it. Um, and then Mat- Nacho calls Mike and we kind of leave that there. Um, but in that in-
1: episode, he brings his dad as well, which is, yeah. like, so sad. And his, dad is, and his dad is just like, whoa. Yeah. You put yourself in that situation. Can't we really do anything?
2: No. Mm. Um. In and then we to look at Jimmy and Kim in this episode. In in a in a fantastic callback to like the first season of Better Call Saul, Jimmy goes to see the Kettlemans, the absolutely horrific yeah. couple yeah. who are now running a um tax, um, what are they running a tax a tax. Uh, service tax it's doing like money service.
1: money like money is it not to like lend money or something
2: i thought it was to i thought they were doing people's taxes it's like a bookkeeping ah, service. okay
1: oh uh, uh, yeah maybe they're called <laughs> liberty
2: they're called liberty taxes and hilariously the real company called liberty taxes tried to sue uh the makers of better Course saw for using ah, okay. that for like disparaging their business um <laughs> in this episode um they want to basically Jimmy is trying to convince them to get Cliff Main to represent them in a lawsuit claiming ineffective counsel because Jimmy's trying to convince the Kettlemans that when Howard was representing them in an earlier season, he was on cocaine. And um Jimmy does Jimmy realizes that this isn't gonna go anywhere, but he wants there to just be more little reasons for cliff to start thinking that that howard is a, a cocaine addict yeah um but as sophie turner would say he doesn't even know what it looks like <laughs> uh let alone is is using it mm. um cliff refuses to do this because it's a conflict of interest obviously because he's working with howard on the sandpaper case mm. as jimmy well knows uh leaving the kettleman's again looking like absolute goons yeah <laughs> um because all of the other lawyers that the Kettlemans then go to are like, no, not at all. But Kim, Jimmy, and Kim have got what they wanted. Um, Jimmy tries to bribe the Kettlemans um, to keep quiet about what he's done. They refuse to. But Kim, showing her true colors again and again, um, just threatens to reveal the fact that they're again, like obviously because they're awful people. They're scamming their customers. So uh, Kim says, if you do anything, we'll tell the IRS what you're doing. Uh, And then Jimmy, revealing himself to be, you know, he still gives the Kettleman's the cash that he was going to bribe them with. Mm. Because he sort of, I don't know, he has this need for people to like him.
1: But I feel like in this season, until a certain episode, Mm. Jimmy could change. Jimmy could go to the right direction,
0: mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but
1: Kim pushes him constantly in the wrong direction and then abandons him. I yeah. feel like, I feel like this is I know he could I know he has his own you know free will and everything, but I feel like he by this point, Jimmy could have been a better person if Kim hadn't pushed him, because there are some times that where Jimmy goes oh. Maybe we shouldn't do it. And Kim goes, no, we have to do it. Yeah. And um, I feel like she pushes him, pushes him and pushes him. And then she abandons him. And then he but, goes, steroids, steroids, But the interesting Jimmy.
2: thing is, like, Kim hasn't seen the horrors yet that Jimmy has seen. Like, if Kim had seen the thing that eventually makes her walk away, because J- J- Jimmy has seen similar things yeah. to... The what happens to Howard later, like Jimmy has seen horrors. Jimmy has spent that episode walking through the desert with Mike, etc. Yeah. Jimmy knows how horrendous it can be.
0: Mm.
2: Maybe leading a little bit to his not wanting to commit quite as hard as Kim does. Whereas Kim is living in this world where she doesn't quite realize, she doesn't realize how connected Jimmy's ended up to like the cartel, for example, and stuff like that. And if she knew Mm. all of that, maybe she'd be slightly less. But who knows? It's hard to say.
1: Well she knows she, Lalo. She already he she's already met Lalo and well, she, she thinks, knows he's a
2: psychopath. She thinks Lalo's dead at this point. As does yeah, Jimmy. Yeah, but I she suppose.
1: knows she knows like that these people are crazy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um right, we go to uh the very the very last shot of that episode is that there's a car with an unknown driver following Jimmy and Kim. we let we are supposed to believe it's Lalo. Uh, A bit of a red herring to make us not realise that he's gone off to Germany, but it's actually uh, one of Mike's men keeping an eye on. Because now Jimmy and Kim are being followed by Gus and Mike's men because Mm. Gus is convinced that Lalo is going to come back and and target someone involved. And it might might be Jimmy and Kim. Uh, We go to the next episode, Rock in a Hard Place. This is the Nacho Varga episode. Um we will say goodbye to Nacho in this episode.
1: Yeah, in the best way possible, though. If Nacho had to go, he went away in the best way possible.
2: So, so good. So uh, the opening is one of those classic sort of uh, non-sequitur openings where it shows us something that doesn't quite make sense until we reach the end of the episode. I uh, quite like that about
1: this season. It's like constantly like that. It kind of explains it at the end,
2: yeah. Uh, As rain begins to fall, a close-up scan of a small patch of desert stops on a lone blue flower, then settles on a piece of broken glass. Um... Main story, we've got Nacho Varga. Uh, his truck breaks down. He conceals himself in an abandoned oil tanker uh, until the cousins move on with their search. Uh, he cleans himself off at a mechanic shop, calls his father. This is the episode where he calls his father. Um, yeah. He then calls Mike Ehrman Trout. So they're messing around with time a little bit because this is the call he makes to Mike in the previous episode. We now see it properly. Speaks to Gus, says he'll surrender as long as his father's protected. Mike, we can kind of trust Mike at this point to keep that promise to the best of possible ability he can. Um, So Nacho gets smuggled into the US by Gus's men. Um, Mike beats Nacho up so that he looks like he was captured and um, they're going to absolve Gus of blame for Lalo's death by blaming another drug family. And after confessing, Nacho will attempt to flee so Victor can kill him, guaranteeing his death will be swift and the Salamancas will not torture him. So, horrible... But the best outcome.
1: Yeah, he chooses how stage. to die.
2: Yeah, he gets to choose how to go out. It's awful yeah. though, because I love Nacho. Even though he's yeah. a criminal, he does bad things throughout yeah. the seasons. His dad is constantly trying to bring him. Like he's got, he's got a conscience. He's got his Jiminy Cricket that's telling yeah. him the right thing to do. But he's 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 pulled into this world, and he at this stage, you know, there's the, the only way out is this, and it's so sad, but.
1: But I love the fact that he tells exactly to Salamanca what he feels about them, and I quite like that because nobody ever tells them
2: yes. how bef-
1: they feel about
2: them. But before we get to that final scene of the episode, let's have a look at what uh, Jimmy and Kim get up to. Uh, they they, they obtain duplicates of Howard's car and his vanity licence plate, <laughs> which is really quite, a, you know, they're really going all in on this now. Um, uh but rather than rather than getting his car they're just going to obtain access to his car uh because they there's that great scene where they they make a copy of his key in that mm-hmm. very quick span of time using huell Babino, um oh and yeah this is the episode where um they connect jimmy to lalo Salamanca, lalo Salamanca and nacho and um kim this is where kim finds out that lalo is supposedly dead even though he's not and um this is sort of where jimmy starts getting ostracized from the other lawyers at the courthouse mm. because yeah. they realize he's done something really horrific by allowing this murderer yeah. cartel member to um to escape mm. um yeah and then we go to yeah we go back to uh we get this incredible one of the finest scenes in a season full of amazing sequences we go to the desert where um, the showdown between Gus and Nacho and Hector and all Ever- mm. the Salamancas uh, are happening. Uh, Nacho claims that he killed Lalo while working with the mm-hmm.
0: Um,
2: And then he s- tells Hector that he tried to kill him by switching his angina me- medication for placebo. But Gus saved uh, Hector's life. Which is what has led Hector to be... So Hector is permanently in this wheelchair, can only communicate yeah. with the world through a bell. Uh, as we saw in an early season, that's all because of Nacho, and Nacho finally is able to tell Hector that he did this. Mm. Um, he uses a piece of broken glass to cut his restraints, and he takes Juan Balsa's gun, Juan Balsa being the other, the sort of... the really boring cartel member who never yeah. really does anything <laughs> other than just, like... He's kind of an intermediary between Gus and the others. Mm. Um and uh he kills himself uh which is him really going out on his own terms yeah finally yeah um making absolutely certain that he's not going to get tortured he he tells hector what he did to him how much he hates him he he gives it completely to him and then he gets the gun and he kills himself and it's brutal mm. and horrible and sad and um then hector just like the horrible old man he is, just fires a load of bullets into Nacho's corpse just to have a yeah. final word on <laughs> the matter. Um, pretty great stuff, I reckon, here, right?
1: Mm, yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, I love it. I, I, yeah, it's so good. Um, we go now to, so sort of, this really feels like a turning point in the season where, like, the cartel story now, they've wrapped up Nacho and they've wrapped up the the kind of the fallout from Lalo's assassination attempt, and we now move full speed into Gus and Lalo, and Gus's paranoia. Yeah. So the next episode is called Hit and Run, and it opens with the sequence of the two, the married couple riding their bicycles from oh. Albuquerque, and, and then it this, reveals their house is actually the operation center for yeah. Gus because they are they live across from him, and there's a, there's an escape room, there's a panic. Room. There's a tunnel between the houses. Like the the yeah. the elaborate lengths he's gone to to kind of keep himself safe is wild. Yeah. Um,
1: and that's the episode where I was like, is this all worth it? Like <laughs> all of this, because he's he's just living this like really mundane life, being like. Uh, the owner of Chicken Place, which is pretty successful. It looks like everybody goes to El Polo, Poyos Hermanos. Los Polos Hermanos. Mm. El Hermanos. And then he has two houses and he's constantly under surveillance. And uh, he's always (sighs) just, is is this all worth it? But this is
2: is largely like this currently is because of the Lalo situation. I don't think he usually, he is convinced that Lalo is coming for him. Yeah, and he's right to be convinced. And but also, absolutely. as we've seen, Lalo is a force of nature. Like,
1: yeah, he's amazing. The he's...
2: situations he wriggles out of throughout the seasons are yeah. is amazing. Um, he does. He's seem so charming. Like, he is very charming, but equally, like, as soon as he's in a dangerous situation, his capacity for violence is terrifying. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Um, and he will like, yeah, Lalo. Like, I would be as scared as as Gus is if I knew that <laughs> I had Lalo Salamanca coming. For yeah. Me. Um. So yeah, Mike is like, Mike, this is where Mike is starting to be like, maybe Lalo's dead and Gus is like, absolutely not. This man mm. is alive and he's coming for me. Um, there's the there's the absolutely wonderful sequence here where, first of all, we get some insight into Howard. We find out that Howard is married for the first time in this yep. episode. Uh, we find out that he has a psychiatrist or a yep. psychologist even. Um, and we start to see the shine of, uh, like, we've always seen Howard through Jimmy's eyes or Kim's eyes mm. uh, as being this Perfectly tanned, powerful man mm. is perfect. You know, lives a perfect charmed life, and Jimmy is so jealous of it. But actually, you know what? Not things aren't perfect. Howard's Howard's marriage is basically an empty shell, and yeah. he's he's struggling. He's having a difficult time. Jimmy doesn't care about any of that. Jimmy has <laughs> put on an an insane disguise and fake tan to look yeah. like howard coward. Uh, in a yeah. really entertaining sequence. Um, uses his duplicate key steals Howard's car picks up um sex worker Wendy who appears periodically throughout Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul yeah um and um say <laughs> Wendy sorry well i didn't want to say I no no it's the, like it's just
1: it's just an interesting name it's like you know Wendy Wendy
2: Wendy, well according to Wikipedia she's called Wendy uh, and Kim has convinced Clifford Main to meet her outside in a specific spot and um, Jimmy basically engineers a situation where from a distance it looks like Howard is kicking a sex worker out of his car mm. and driving off of course we know it's actually uh, Jimmy but Clifford thinks it's uh, Howard again making Howard look like a cocaine using um, sex worker abusing mm-hmm. um, awful man um, there's a great, there's a great bit where Jimmy manages to get the car back just in time. Somebody has moved the cone he put out to keep the parking space in reserve. Yeah. So he has to pull up the <laughs> sign and move it across. Uh, a
1: very funny scene.
2: Yeah. And he just like, it's timed perfectly. So he just manages. Mm. Um, uh, this is also where uh, Wendy points out to Kim that she's being followed. Um, mm. Kim is noticing now she's being followed. She's meeting pro bono clients at, uh oh, the El Camino dining room. Interesting. Oh. Uh, Kim spots the car again, confronts the occupants. It's not Lalo. It is, in fact, Mike, Um, because she's being followed because Lalo might still be alive. Um.
1: I never knew. But do you understand why she decides not to tell this information to Jimmy?
2: cuz i think she thinks that it's going to if jimmy finds out lalo is still alive jimmy is going to be like we are getting out of town now
1: yeah and that would have been the best outcome possible oh
2: yeah yeah but kim wants to finish the job kim is hooked on this <sighs> this mission of uh, destroying howard um not defending it but i think that's why uh but i did enjoy like this was such a great scene where cuz we realized kim and mike have never met before no and you know like she, she there's that sequence where she's in the diner, and Mike, we just see the back of Mike, like the reveal that Mike's there is done very slowly, but mm. you kind of if you, if you're paying attention, you know he's there straight away, because oh, okay. you can just sense his presence, I think. Mm. And then, yeah, he's just sat there at the bar and he has this conversation with her. And again, Jonathan Banks is perfect mm. as Mike and he tells her everything. And it's just it's, it's kind of like, oh, wow, it's Kim and Mike. They've never met before. This is cool. <laughs> it's a cool moment. Kim realises Mike's the man who saved Jimmy in the desert. Uh, why does why did he tell her and not Jimmy? And uh, Mike thinks that she is made of sterner stuff. Um which mm. maybe means he should have told Jimmy but
1: he should have definitely told Jimmy
2: yeah but i guess also mike doesn't want a situation in which jimmy escapes mike doesn't want jimmy to run out of town because that complicates the situation because lalo would still be able to track jimmy down because he's he's yeah. a force of nature and it 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 makes the playing field too big so i think mike probably prefers it if they stay where they are but but wants kim to be aware um okay Jimmy in this episode is noticing that he's a pariah. Nobody likes him anymore because he defended Lalo. Um even though now he's popular amongst local criminals as Saul Goodman. Um he gets evicted from the nail salon, so he starts looking for a new office, which is just one of those things that they need to do to set up uh where we know he begins in Breaking Bad. Um and Yeah. Kim likes the new office that he's found and they go for dinner and Kim mm. chooses not to say that she's met Mike and that's the end of the episode and we move on mm. to black, black and Blue where we see a uh, block being created with a wooden slide rule inside which says, "With love your boys in German on the side. Again, another perfect moment where they don't really tell us why we're seeing this but we learn throughout the episode yeah. why this has happened. Um, Kim is still keeping it from Jimmy that she knows about Lalo uh, Jimmy's still getting lots of criminals to come and seek lawyer representation for him. Francesca becomes his uh, admin assistant again. Again, <laughs> setting up for the start of Breaking Bad. Again, yeah. the first episode where she appears in Breaking Bad. She looks a lot younger than she does. Yeah, in this. yeah. But it's fine. It's just funny. Um. Uh, Kim is now meeting with a uh, her paralegal from Schweikart and Coakley. Um. Kim says, uh, Viola tells her how much she admires Kim's pro bono work. The reality is that it's actually a ploy in order to obtain the name of the retired judge who will mediate the Sandpiper case because this is going to prove to be a key element in their plot against Howard. Mm. So uh, Kim is is allowing somebody to (laughs) compliment her on her wonderful pro bono work (laughs) in order to obtain um, information that she's going to use to destroy the career of somebody else. Yeah. Good good stuff, Kim. Um,
1: See, Kim is bad.
2: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Howard and Cliff and Erin, the brilliant Erin. Um, what else is she in, that actress? She's in something else. I can't remember what it is, but she's great. You know, the younger woman that's sort of is very intense and jittery that works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's great. Anyway, they convince the sandpiper clients not to settle and Cliff confronts Howard over his <laughs> use of drugs and prostitutes. <laughs> which would be if somebody came up to and accused you of doing all of that, and you were like, and you genuinely hadn't done, you would be very confused and angry. Howard obviously realizes that Jimmy's doing it, um, because who else would you think is doing it? Yeah. Something like that to you, um. But he takes the quite bizarre choice of um, a, a challenging Jimmy to a fight in a boxing. Ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Jimmy. Uh. Isn't going to do it, then changes his mind. He uh, Howard wipes the floor with him, as you could imagine would happen. Um, but Howard has used it as a way to introduce his private investigator to Jimmy and tells him to start following Jimmy. But as we know from later on, this guy is actually in the pocket of
1: jimmy
2: jimmy and kim because howard yeah. is his fate has already been sealed it's, mm, yeah. it's so sad um yeah good stuff da, 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 da. gus continues to think that lalo's alive he can't sleep he can't work properly mike and gus go and see the meth lab and gus carefully hides a handgun in an excavator <gasps> in like some kind of crazy moment of foresight
1: that was i was like why did he do that
2: but why did crazy. he do that how yeah he, like he couldn't have possibly known how that was all going to play out
1: i don't know mm, crazy like insane people no insane people don't they?
2: it's it's true and then we get over to uh germany lalo is over there he approaches the widow of werner who uh, obviously built helped build the meth lab and then was killed by mike in an earlier season um yeah, well, that's all that happens really in that episode. Is he finds the thing and he he finds out who's made it, and he's gonna he's gonna find out more information about um that will lead him to them. We've got axe and grinds next. Uh, we find out a little bit more about Kim who uh gets caught stealing a necklace from a department store, yeah. and um then we see Howard uh dealing with the problems with his wife, etc. Um. Jimmy and Kim. I think this is all just set up. This episode is sort of set up for what's going to happen. Basically, um, they go to that that vet who has the yeah. black book full of uh, names, which is pretty cool. Um, but he's going to leave. Is is the implication that Jimmy gets that black book somehow? I don't know, actually. Yeah, because I wondered why that uh, quite why that was in there. Um, uh, Mike is like. A, Tyrus tells Mike to take the men off watching his family and Mike refuses to. Um, Lalo uh, finds this guy, Casper, who knows about stuff. He attacks him with an axe in a horrifying sequence. <laughs> yeah. uh, and we know, we can basically assume at this point that he's going to learn everything he needs to learn about the underground meth lab, which is going to lead him back to Albuquerque. Pretty but it was so annoying because that
1: Max guy could have just killed him and he doesn't. True. Yeah, he was just like Lalo is just on the floor. Just like me. And you could just like ax him and kill him, but instead wow. he just doesn't. Because he he's s
2: cause he's just a cockroach. He just survives all the time. Yeah. Um Cliff Main, uh yeah, Clifford basically prov- provides Kim with this like choice because he invites her to go and um go to a meeting that will push forward her career in the direction mm. she she claims she wants it to go in, but it's on the same day as the big job. Um Yeah. Against Howard, and she really does just side with that ultimately. That seem that she's now in the point where that's more important to her. Um and they get into all of this nonsense. They get this actor to dress up as the as the judge in the case, and they start taking photos, and we're like, what is going on? (laughs) And um Jimmy ends up seeing this judge in a liquor store because he's buying uh yeah. Kim, her favourite expensive tequila. He notices this judge has got an arm, a uh, sling on his arm. Yeah. So he um he's like, We have to call it all off. And Kim is like, no, and she turns away from her meeting, and comes back to uh Yeah to try and finish the job where they have to retake all these photos, and then we get to the kind of the 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 point at which the season swings on, the fulcrum point of the season, plan and execution, yeah. the mid season finale, where um the whole plan comes together and it's pretty incredible there's the mediation is going on jimmy and kim have found a way to to call into it so they can hear the goings on and um howard's private investigator delivers howard a an envelope showing jimmy exchanging money with someone on a bench in a park and when they get into the mediation session howard realizes that the man on the bench is the judge who is mediating this session and he assumes that jimmy has paid off the judge to force an early settlement yeah. um and howard then proceeds to go completely mad yeah and accuses the judge of this in front of everyone says that this can't continue cliff in everyone else is like what are you doing and he goes back to get these photos and that suddenly it's all a load of photos of um someone handing a frisbee <laughs> to jimmy
1: Oh, and also, were the photos like when they went to the vet? They the vet gave them this yeah, they, um this substance and they the drug they, yeah they drug um
2: they laced the so, photos so that Howard yeah. will basically drug himself with this thing that yeah. makes his pupils go all big and it so he it looks dra- like a cokehead he yeah. looks like a total cokehead and he's 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 raving and ranting and the by by the time he gets back the images have been swapped for um these images of that that just show somebody handing him a, a frisbee yeah. And again he looks more and more insane. And yeah. it works. The 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 it all works. The the case is settled. Jimmy's gonna get his payout, but obviously Howard is now at a point where he's been basically ruined. Yeah. And um it's But this is the devastated. moment that I'm
1: like, who is the bad person? Is it Jimmy or is it Kim?
2: Because
1: Kim could Kim, Kim could change Jimmy and make him better, but instead mm. she fuels this uh thing
2: i think they're both pretty at fault it's hard to say mm. who's worse um yeah at this stage but uh we we get scenes throughout the episode of lalo monitoring gus's laundry facility and da, 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 da. um lalo is going to attack hector no lalo tells hector he's going to attack gus Uh but he knows that the call will be monitored so suddenly all of the people are pulled off everything else and they have to go and protect gus opening up jimmy and kimmy so, jimmy and kim so lalo goes to them and um unfortunately at the same time howard has arrived (laughs) at jimmy and kim's apartment as they're in the process of celebrating their big win howard comes and tells them some home truths about what awful terrible people they are and he's quite clearly drunk um while this is all happening lalo arrives and just (laughs) jimmy and kim are panicking, terrified, as they should be. Howard has yeah. no idea what's going on. Uh, Kim is begging Lalo to leave, begging yeah. Howard to leave. And before he can, Lalo does what he does best and just shoots Howard in the head. And yeah. Kills him. What, did you expect this to happen? No. No. Zero. I, I,
1: didn't, I didn't think Lalo was that, because he's getting angrier and angrier. So you have like the charming Lalo and like the, the cartel Lalo.
0: Mm. And I
1: didn't realise he was that angry or just, he, just, he had enough, hadn't he? Yeah. he just, and so when he kills Howard, I was like, I didn't expect that to happen.
2: No, but it's interesting that we've, we've had six seasons of this show where it's perfect, in my opinion, but the one criticism you might be able to have of it is that it's got this, it's about Jimmy McGill and how he turns from, from, from Jimmy McGill to Saul Goodman and mm. you see all of the kind of criminal world, not, mm. the, the legal world goings-on at the courthouse and stuff mm. throughout the seasons. And then also, it's just got Gus and Mike and the cartel, and they seem like two very disconnected stories a lot of the time.
0: Mm.
2: <coughs> and this is really like showing that they've been laying the foundation all along for these two worlds to come together to show mm. that if you allow yourself to be dragged into this, everyone yeah. in your orbit can be effect, essentially damaged by it. And Howard, who's had no connection ever to the cartel, has paid the ultimate price for Jimmy's um and Kim's involvements yeah. and is yeah, is is killed.
1: Well, it, it, I think I think if you if you start being part of the cartel, nobody around you is safe. Yeah. Like nobody.
2: Yeah. Hmm. That was the that was the mid season finale, and when we came back from the mid season finale, the the second half of the season is structured oddly because we have two episodes. We have, uh, point and shoot and fun and games where. Hmm. It sort of wraps everything up. It kind of wraps up all of the storylines from Better Call Soul. This is the last we ever see of Mike,
0: mm. other than
2: in some flashbacks. It's the last we ever see of Gus, which feels odd. It almost feels a bit of an odd ending for that character. Um but we do see this little bit of humanity from him in one of the episodes where he mm. goes to a restaurant and you kind of see potentially what what life he could live if he could just if he just dropped all of the um crime, but mm. he won't. He will not. Um, and basically in these two episodes, it's all about Kim coming to the real- realisation that it's too much for her and she has to remove herself from it. And she realises really that the the two of them together isn't a good combination in her view. And it's led to all of this awful stuff happening. And she yeah. makes the pretty horrible decision to just walk away from it all and leaves Jimmy.
1: yeah. I that's why like in this in this series I feel like Kim is just she just does all the damage and then just walks off. Mm-hmm. Because I feel if Kim hadn't pushed it maybe her and Soul could have had a life without being like this.
0: Yeah. Because but I think
1: I think Soul loves her so much that he could change for her.
2: Yeah, but she instead she's she's kind of like
1: yeah, she pushes him to, to the to limit. Her. And then she she was like, I can't but he this the the anymore, thing either. is he
2: pu- he pushes her, and then she likes the taste of it, and then she pushes him, and they end they they're pushing each other higher um. and higher. I think that um, like Jimmy is not free of any fault. Like he is slipping Jimmy. No, ultimately.
1: absolutely, yeah. But I think I think he never had the love that Kim could give him. No. And so I feel that maybe.
2: Well, based on that flashback to Kim's childhood, I don't think she's ever had. Yeah. The love that he mm. could give her either. Yeah. They're both two pretty damaged people, um, mm. ultimately, I think. But, yeah, so she she leaves, leaving Jimmy alone. He's about to get yeah. a huge payout, but he's alone, which is sad. Yeah. And that kind of – that sets him up to be Saul Goodman, who we meet in Breaking Bad, and that's kind of the end of the prequel era stuff. But what we've not looked at at all – is there anything else in these two episodes that you think is worth going over – Gus, oh, and, Gus a, and Lalo the, have their big showdown. Yeah. Gus shoots there's a Lalo.
1: Sh- and Lalo. and then we realise why uh Gus put his uh, um his gun where he put it. And uh yeah. Yeah. I felt I felt I felt like when Gus is in that restaurant and he meets that guy and is really nice. Mm. I feel like I felt really sorry for Gus. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But he's also absolutely whole.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's just basically the end of and the beginning of Breaking Bad, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, these these two episodes are really good episodes, but they very much feel like, right, let's now just clear the table and prepare for a new table, which we come to in Nippy. Um yeah. We have not... Um, we We have not... In this season so far, seen any of the flash forward black and white sequences yeah. that have characterised the opening scenes of every season up to this point? This is because for the rest of the season, pretty much yeah. this is where we spend our time. The rest of the season is shot primarily in black and white. It is set in twenty ten, past the seek the end of Breaking Bad, yeah. in Omaha, Nebraska, where Jimmy McGill is now living as Gene Takovic, the manager of a cinnabon, yeah. in a mall living a, an empty, pointless life. Where, when we last saw Gene, he was being um, menaced slightly by Jeff, the cab driver who recognised him as Saul Goodman.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, And Gene decides to take matters into his own hands and <laughs> terrorise Jeff into
0: yeah.
2: uh, not uh, revealing his identity to anyone. He starts this with, hence the name of the episode, Nippy, and we've now moved mm. past... Dirt and dirt as episode titles because now we're in the future. Uh yep. so Nippy is uh the the pet dog of uh Jeff's mother. No, no, Nippy's not her no, dog. No, no, Nippy, Nippy, Nippy is like his, his, his fake imaginary dog, dog. his yeah, fake dog sorry. that
1: got lost. Yeah.
2: Nippy is his fake dog that doesn't exist, and he's putting up false f- lost and found posters for yeah. Nippy, and that's how he ends up meeting and befriending Marion. Marion along with uh some Shenanigans with her mobile scooter so that she needs his help to yeah. get home and um basically he starts to he's like i'll give you a, he gives te- jeff a taste of crime and this yeah. this is a great uh, sequence where he um we see him over the course of days and days befriending the security guard at the mall with this yeah. s- they, he brings him a Cinnabon every day, brings his two oh, security guards a yeah. Cinnabon every day and gets into this and starts timing how long it takes this security guard to eat this bun and that's how long it, he's not going to be yeah. looking at the security cameras. And it's all revealed that it's a setup for allowing Jeff to sneak into this department store and steal a load of clothes, which they successfully do. Um, in a brilliant callback to, again, early stuff in Better Call Saul... Jeff ends up slipping on the floor, like slipping Jimmy. Yeah, and, uh, that
1: scene—it was so like, get up, get up.
2: Yeah. Get up. Um. But but they they pull it off and they get away with it all. And then Gene uh, mm-hmm. basically reveals, you've just done a massive felony with me. You've tr- you've you've sent stuff over state lines, et cetera, et cetera. If I've revealed what you've done here, you could get in a lot of trouble. So leave me alone and get out of it. However, what do you think? How Do you think Jimmy's going to react to suddenly doing a little bit of crime again? And ah, and
1: oh, it's succeed. going to be joyful again, it's not going to be boring anymore, is it?
2: Yeah, so he um he goes back to the mall and starts to look at the Saul Goodman style shirts, which is quite a nice yeah. little moment. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, and then we get the next episode, Breaking Bad. Uh, this episode is got a lot of like fan service stuff in it, you know, the first ever. Yeah. S- First ever episode of Saul in Breaking Bad is called Better Call Saul, so now they've returned the favour with an episode called Breaking Bad. Yeah. Finally, we get the return of Walter White and Jesse Pinkman, which I personally, did you feel like we needed this?
1: Uh, it was a nice little present. Yeah. We didn't need it, but no. it was nice. Like, I enjoyed it. Um. I, I, I think because it's definitely the end now.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I feel it's just, um, it There's- was... It wasn't necessary, but I I didn't mind it.
2: Yeah, I didn't mind it. I guess there's a, there's a flashback scene at another point where Kim leaves Jimmy's or Saul Goodman's office and briefly has a conversation with Jesse outside. Uh, yeah. Where he Jesse asks her if Saul's a good lawyer, and she says, "When I knew him, he was," which is a heartbreaking little moment. Yeah and then in the finale uh, there's a scene where we see a flashback of Jimmy and Walter hiding out together and so yeah. those two scenes on their own would probably have been enough in my opinion but it's fine that mm. we get this we get this flashback to the first time really that Walt and Walter White of Breaking Bad and um, yeah. Jimmy McGill ever met where they are um where Jesse and Walt have kidnapped Saul and driven him out into the middle of the desert and are threatening to kill him and we see what we didn't see in Breaking Bad, which was their return to uh, Albuquerque in the camp of yeah. uh where they are uh, arguing and having a little bickering match. And again, it doesn't really matter too much, but it you know, whatever. Um let's see. Uh in this episode, uh Gene calls Francesca, his assistant from Albuquerque, and discovers that um Basically, the important thing he discovers is that Kim is living in Florida and working for a sprinkler company. Yeah. Um Gene calls Jim. Gene, Gene calls Kim's workplace, and we don't see the conversation in this episode. We just see the aftermath, which is uh, Gene kicking the hell out of the yeah. phone booth. He's clearly not had a good time. Um, he then decides he's gonna. He, he falls further. Like he Like it's a weird thing where like if you're saying that Kim, if he presented, maybe he could have done because. Gene's life at this point is so empty that the little bit of life that's brought to him by doing this crime probably revitalizes. That's why he goes back to crime. And maybe if yeah. if he had something in his life, if he had Kim in his life, maybe he wouldn't feel the need to do it. Absolutely, but it does feel like a cycle with him. They get yeah, into this. But I,
1: yeah.
2: They get into this scam basically of of uh, Jimmy goes out with um, various people and drugs them and then gets Jeff to drive them home in his cab and then Jeff Jeff breaks into their house and um, steals their identity, takes all the photos of their passwords and stuff to help steal yeah. their identity, and then all of that information gets sold and they're earning good money from that. Um, ultimately, there's a... uh, Is it in this one or the next episode? Yeah, yeah, so this episode sort of finishes with... um. Buddy, who is the third member of the group, who's not really a character, but he's one, who he helps do all the identity theft stuff in the houses, mm. uh, discovers that one of their marks has cancer and doesn't want to do it to him, Does feels bad about it, and uh, leaves, taking the little bit of sellotape off the door so they can't get in. And Gene decides to go back and break in because he's now in too deep again and uh, can't help himself. So breaks Like himself. he didn't
1: have to. He didn't have no. to go in. No. He just could have left it this time.
2: But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We go to the next episode, Waterworks, a reference to Kim's new place of living, uh, new work, in in fact, and uh, this episode is the big Kim episode. It really focuses on Kim a lot. We see her finalising her divorce with uh, Jimmy at his office Mm. in 2004, uh, where she has a conversation with Jesse Pinkman, which is a lovely little scene, I think. Um... Kim, mm. now in 2010, is leaving a quiet suburban lifestyle in Titusville, Florida. She has a desk job at Palm Coast Sprinkler and she seems to be living a pretty empty life where she has a boyfriend who doesn't particularly seem to uh, excite her too much either. No, uh, and but she, she likes
1: it.
2: Yeah, well, she likes it, but also she, she very much... She avoids ever giving an opinion or having an opinion on anything. Yeah. Like there's sequences of her sitting around with her friends and... Or friends from work and they're they're all asking her, like, what's this? What do you think of this? What do you think of that? And she just won't give an opinion about anything. Yeah. She's she's really turned herself off from the world, which is mm. sad to see. Um, and she's not obviously not lurking as a lawyer anymore. Yeah. Uh Jimmy calls her to check in on her. Kim basically, you know, tells him to turn himself in. She knows about all the events of breaking bad, obviously, which um have happened since we last saw mm. Jim and Kimmy together. Uh Jimmy tells her she should hand herself in due to Mm. her involvement in Howard's disappearance. And, um, well, you know. She does. She does. She flies (laughs) off to Albuquerque. She visits Howard's widow. We didn't really talk about this too much, but Howard ended up being, uh, his death was faked and they planted his car and a load of his stuff on a beach to imply that he'd kind of walked out into the sea to kill himself. He's actually buried underneath the meth lab. Um, Yeah. Kim delivers a written confession about everything she did to Howard to Cheryl, his widow, and also the district attorney, um, and um, in what is maybe the greatest piece of acting ever recorded to film, she has a breakdown on a bus. Um, yeah. Which, if she doesn't win an Emmy next year for her performance in this show, I it, it's a crime. Because she's so she's so incredible, um, Jean is back in Omaha, Nebraska, being a moron, um, you know, gets. What happened? Jeff Jeff has an absolute panic when a police car is idling behind him while he's waiting for Jimmy to come out of this house and he ends up driving away and immediately crashing into a parked car. Yeah, um, which is weird. Um so Jeff gets arrested, Jean escapes thanks to the distraction. Um mm. but it ultimately leads basically to Gene having to get Marion, Jeff's mother, to um try and help get him released. Uh Marion is now really suspicious that something's going on. She looks up, um, she knows that jeff knew Jean in albuquerque or something she looks up con men in albuquerque and immediately comes across the better call saul advertisements and uh, there's a wonderful bit where gene comes in to get marion she's sat at her computer she closes the laptop as he comes to her he opens the laptop mm. again and we see in color reflected in his glasses the advert for saul goodman and it's yeah. a beautiful little moment of color splashing through the black and white photography um Kind of sticking to the idea that everything to do with Saul Goodman is full of colour and this life as Jean is, is drained of anything. Um
0: yeah.
2: and he really he, he really he um he threatens her and ends up running away. And uh that's the end of the episode. And we go to the finale which is called Saul Gom. Hmm.
0: Um
2: it's pretty good stuff. Yeah. It's hard to talk about it, but it's very good. Uh, Throughout this episode, we see flashbacks uh, where Jimmy is having conversations with um, Mike, Walter, and his brother Chuck. Uh, In the first two, he asks Mike and Walter what they could do if they could travel back in time. Uh, Mike says he would travel back today's son died, but then changes his answer to say he'd actually stop himself from taking his first bribe, realising that it was taking that bribe that led him on the path to eventually his son dying, which you learn much more about earlier on in Better Call Saul. Um, showing Mike as being someone who really, you know, regrets the things he's done that have led him down the criminal path, hmm. and what it's cost him. Walter, however, says that he would have stayed at Gray Matter Technologies, the multi-billion dollar company he founded in college. Um. Jimmy doesn't tell Mike what he would do if he could time travel. Uh, he tells Walter he regrets hurting his knee in a scam. <laughs> uh making Walter be like, You were always a criminal then, weren't you? Whereas really like Walter Walter White is the worst man that's ever lived. I hate him. Um Yeah,
1: because I feel I feel like if when he said that he would have stayed in that um place that made loads of money,
2: yeah. I feel
1: like he would have failed anyway, because Walter White is like uh egocentric, uh terrible person. Yeah, he's awful so, and he
2: can't let anything lie for a second. No.
1: So I think if even if he stayed in the company that now is a multi-million company and he feels like he he uh has missed out, I think he would have not been anything because he would have thought that he's the best of anything.
2: Absolutely. I agree completely. Um yeah, awful. Um <laughs> Yes God, I hate Walter White so much. Um <laughs> Chuck asked Jimmy if he'd ever considered a different career path in their flashback. Um Jimmy says, well, you never did, so why should I? I want to be mm. a lawyer. Um, Chuck, this is what, this is when Chuck is like, you know, being basically looked after completely by Jimmy because he's in his electrical allergy phase. Um, Chuck asks Jimmy to stay and consult with him about his new legal clients, but Jimmy brushes him off uh, defensively after he thinks he's been insulted. Um, and Chuck picks up a copy of The Time Machine by H.G. Wells, maybe being mm. a, a symbol of what led... Jimmy, too, constantly asks people that question about what they'd do if Mm. they were the time machine. We go back to 2010. Uh, Jimmy gets caught pretty quickly hiding in a dumpster. Uh, He's not very good at running away. Um, They know exactly who he is. They've caught him. He's done. He's he's caught. He's not going to get away with it. Um, He gets offered a life sentence of 190 years. (laughs) Um and then gets offered a deal of 30 years and we get a cameo from Breaking Bad that I was not anticipating.
1: No, absolutely not. I was like, <laughs> who is that?
2: It's, who, Ma- who it's is Marie.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: Stripped of her trademark purple, still yeah. mourning uh, the loss of Hank, who was um, not, not the best man in the world, kind of a racist uh, if you watch the early episodes of Breaking Bad and stuff. but um,
1: Yeah, he wasn't a nice guy.
2: No, but still a better man than Walter White. Yeah yeah um and didn't deserve the death that he got uh but yeah so basically saul tells this story about how he was threatened by walter white and how scared he was of walter white and he ends up being able to negotiate a seven and a half year sentence yeah uh, he wants to get an even shorter sentence by offering information about howard hamlin's death everyone laughs at him because obviously kim has uh <laughs> revealed all of that and uh that really gets Saul to thinking about his place in the world and how much responsibility he actually has for the events of Breaking Bad. Um, And he finds out that they might, you know, Kim might even have a civil lawsuit filed against her, which would basically ruin her life. Um, So he says he's going to testify to further information relating to Kim, basically just to ensure that Kim ends up coming to the court hearing. Yeah. Um. This hearing happens. We get a beautiful shot of the exit sign linking back to the chicanery episode of of Better Call Saul Mm. uh, where it really feels like Chuck's presence in the courtroom is there as Jimmy actually finally does the right thing. He admits to everything. He willingly participated in Walter White's schemes. He admits that he led partly to Chuck's suicide and he did all of that stuff. Um and he says that he's called James McGill and he is sentenced to eighty six years in prison where the inmates love him they recognize him on the bus, um Hmm. and they start chanting better call Saul and (laughs) that's this is this is the end like unlike Walter White who went out in a blaze of gunfire effectively because he couldn't bear to be caught Jimmy McGill realizes what he's done wrong, he owns up to everything that he's been allowed to involve himself in, and he takes his he takes his um punishment and we get the final scene where Kim turns up to visit him as his lawyer. They share they lean against the wall and share a cigarette, echoing Mm. the first scenes of season one of the show. Yeah. And she leaves and the last we see of Saul Goodman is shooting finger guns at her as she walks away. And that's the last we see of Kim as well. Yeah.
1: He's having a pretty good time in prison, though.
2: Yeah, he is, but he's in prison. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, he's in prison. But he's hmm. probably, you know, he's done some pretty bad stuff. He's not a good guy. I think this yeah. is one of the best finales to anything I've ever seen. I think this is Yeah. Like, I couldn't see them having put a foot wrong.
1: That was good. That was good. Good the uh, last season, good last episode mm-hmm. um it, until until that episode and until he goes to the courtroom until he finds out that Kim might be in danger of having her life ruined, he looks like a very angry, bitter man, yeah. and then when you think that he's going to go for her because he's angry and bitter, he shows that he has the most love for her and he he turns himself in and redeems himself. Mm-hmm. And he could have done that many other times before, but unfortunately he's very easily distracted by goodness.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's a pity. Yeah. Well, I love it. It's good. Yeah. Uh exciting news this week uh it's just been announced that Vince Gilligan, who, you know, created Breaking Bad and Dark yeah. has um has signed a two-season, straight-to-two-season deal for his next TV show at Apple TV. So he is making something new. Uh, not set in a Breaking Bad world, some brand-new thing. It's going to have minimum two seasons. Apple have paid some huge amount of money for it, so it's going to be an Apple TV Plus. And it's going to star Rhea Seahorn. Who? Kim Wexler.
1: Ah, is it? Yeah. Is that her name? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So That's really good.
2: Yeah, because she does such good work in Breaking Bad, and, uh, in Better Call Saul, and I think she's always been denied the credit for it that she deserves. Mm. Um, so, yeah, she is now leading. She's the lead actor star of whatever this new Vince Gilligan project is, and hopefully it's worthy of uh, you know his name and her name. Uh, wow. so that's exciting but yeah i i love this uh we aren't quite ready to leave the breaking bad world because no uh, it's so perfect so in our next episode <laughs> episode 84 uh we are going to be talking about the top five breaking bad universe characters so we'll be counting down our five favorite characters could it be walter could it be jimmy could it be badger Could it be Mike? Could it
1: be (laughs) Ross? Definitely not Badger.
2: (laughs) Could it be Nacho? Could it be um, Jessie's girlfriend, whose name I don't remember, but she's played by... uh, Oh, what's her name? Catherine... Catherine? Oh, I feel bad. She plays Jessica Jones in the Marvel stuff anyway. Yeah, she plays
1: Jessica
2: Jones. Could it be any of those people? Who knows? Who will we put in our top five? Um, will it be the balding lawyer that that, that defends uh Jimmy in the finale and is mm. uh in there or forever? Be. Will it be Lalo? Oh so many so many people to pick from. Who who's it gonna be? Skyler maybe. Maybe Walter Jr. Who knows?
1: <laughs> Walter Jr.
2: Walter Jr. Huel Babano Everyone's beloved Huel. <laughs> there's just too many people. Anyway, we'll be talking about that next time, so join us for yeah. that. And uh, Alex, if you're going to recommend to somebody one of your, or any two of your things on Culture up this week, what do you think people should go out and uh, give their time to?
1: I think people should go out go out and watch Don't Worry Darling. Okay. Without any preconception of it. And definitely uh, the series Love Life.
2: Okay, lovely. And I think uh, if you are in a position where you're able to you absolutely need to go and play uh, the video games Devotion and Immortality to Masterpieces that I've uh, recently played. Cool. Mm.
1: Fantastic stuff.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Again, please go and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts yes. and Spotify and everywhere. and
1: Spotify yep. or anywhere you can rate and review us.
2: Yes, and join us again. Thank you so much. We love you and adore you. Uh, thank you.
1: Bye. Bye.